Hello, this is Mr. Gray from Jandleburn, as you all, I'm sure, know and would not have forgotten. Memorable central character that uh, that I am. Um, well, welcome to the Muck Pod. I, I'm hoping the language doesn't get too colourful on this episode, and uh, you know I'll be standing by to you know just uh, do a little. Do a little painting over, a little neutralising if need be. Alright, behave yourselves. Good, good. Thank you. Kia ora and welcome to MuckPod, the Muck Putty community podcast where we chat with the talented folks who help us make cool stuff about what they do, how they do it, and what's inspiring them. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Marchand, and who is here with me as always? I am Simon Crane. I am an animator here at Muck Putty Animation. How are you, Josh? I'm good. Did you good. almost forget that you were an animator? I did, I did. <laughs> of all the bits to forget. Yeah, I know, right? Um, today I'm a podcaster, mm-hmm. and in the podcast studio with us, we have Simon Ward. Kia ora. Our other Simon. Yeah, yeah, the other Simon. The other Simon. The good yeah. Simon, in fairness. <clears throat> if you want to say that, yeah. you can. <laughs> I, I know you can, right? Yeah. Good Simon and other Simon. Yeah. Uh, the other Simon Ward, no less, because there is another Simon Ward. You know what? I was looking you animation. up. I was, yeah. I was oh, looking really? you up on yeah. IMDb, and there's actually a, a Simon Ward actor from years gone by. Oh yes, yeah. He yeah. was in. I looked up the trailer for uh, Young Churchill. I have right. received fan mail for him from somebody in, I think it was Denmark or Holland. Or okay, some, yeah, some probably some old lady, and ended up writing back and because because no. a couple oh, came through really? over the course of like a year. Did you or let so. her know that you were not I, the actor no, no, she was yeah, looking absolutely. for? Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I did. I did end up having to write this letter and say, "Look, I thank you for your lovely letter, but I'm not the Simon Ward." Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure he would appreciate yeah. it. But I don't then, know where you can reach him. Probably underground. Yeah, probably. yeah. Yeah, he was in. Um, when, what year did he die though? Because uh, she might have seen it before he died. I think she right, must okay, have. Okay. I, I'm pretty sure she would have known when he died. Uh, looks like he kicked off in 2012. Oh, okay. Right. So that would have been a while ago. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're talking like easily a decade ago that these letters happened. But... There was a, a Dracula where Jack Palance played Dracula, and oh. Simon Ward, I think, played John oh, yeah. Parker. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, he was he was a you know. A well-known yeah, character he, he, actor. He did Britain. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a um, thing that happens with names. You know, there's yeah. there's a number of Josh Marchants running around. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, well I thought Marchant was super Ma- common. Yeah, yeah, Marchant's a fairly common name, oh, okay. and then Josh is also right. a pretty common name. Well, Josh is yeah. too many. Really, yeah. we've got to yeah. cull a few. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we've got <laughs> one. We've got one. We need a Josh Battle Royale. Did you hear about the Josh Battle Royale? No. Uh, a few years ago, there was the uh, the Josh fight. That's right. That's right. They, no way. They organized. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up. It's here on Wikipedia. Um, there was a it was a mock fight and a charity fundraiser in Air Park in Lincoln, Nebraska. And wow. as many what else is there to do in Lincoln, Nebraska? I guess you know, so. Like, as many Joshes as possible. Mass uh, Josh Battle. Apparently there were 900 plus participants. Wow! And they were all pretending to fight uh, for the title of Ultimate Josh. You know, there can be only one. <laughs> That's amazing. And the really Isn't sweet thing is that uh, they let like a little kid win, like a li- little young Josh, and Perfect. he's yeah. now the king of Josh's. Wow! That's so do so you bow cool. down to the ultimate Josh? I have to. This wow, is, this is awesome. respected everywhere, not just in Lincoln, Nebraska. That's yeah. correct. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Validated. Fair. You know, yeah. Pretty yeah. exciting. Um, this is actually take two on this podcast. It indeed. is. Yes. We, we, we started in earnest with one. Uh, we had my little yeah. sidekick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sidekick. Who yeah. it was, we were perfectly happy to have, but it, <laughs> when it became clear that he was not enjoying the process, no, yeah. that, that three adults sitting around and talking about, uh, jobs and stuff that was not yeah, so Finn, what they wanted to do. Finn, my little boy, um, he's one year old, um, and 
We did try. Yep. And yep. I wasn't sure, like, you've listened to that. Yes. That stuff. I don't know how much he would have come across on mic, but he was, he was, he got very rah, rah, rah. Yeah. And yeah. it was, either way, it was very disruptive. It started so. off as, like, a fun bit of ambience. Just every so often yeah. there's a little baby gurgle, and you're like, ah. Because yeah. I had yeah. snacks for him right next to the yes. mic. And so no, he'd come did. up and he'd, hey, I want one of those. And yeah. Give him a cracker, and he'd wander off again, but... Then well, it got we a bit do, we do hope he does show up again for a future podcast. Oh, yeah. So, you know, Give it a few years. We'll yeah, still be doing it, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's got plenty of opinions to share. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. Now, that, now that he's a walking, sort of talking kid, he's... Um, I yeah. don't like going to bed. I want to ride in the car. And so yeah, on. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So, like, fatherhood. Yeah. It's That's a new, what do you, what do you make? adventure for me. What do you make um, of that? I mean, I'm loving it. Yeah. Um, the last year has been... It's been tiring, you know. Mm. Um, it's been a it's been a weird balance for us to strike, though, because like I'm working from home down in Wellington. You know, I'm not I'm not in Auckland in the studio most of the time now because um, uh, Mel's job took us to Wellington. Well, took her to Wellington end of 2019. Then, of course, COVID hit a few months later, and we all went into work from home mode. So mm. I hit the road, went down to Wellington. And was sharing a small studio apartment with a senior union official whose day to day just went absolutely haywire right. because it was COVID and there were lockdowns and people couldn't go to work and workers' rights just kind of went out the window. But did they? You know, legislation was being passed under under extreme circumstances really fast to to make sure things like the wage subsidy could happen. And so mm-hmm. they were they were part of all of that consultation and stuff. Right. And I'm sitting across the table from these really intense conversations with my headphones on, trying to trying to listen to you know Pippi Ma animated, yeah, making cartoons, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, I think we all experienced a slowdown in productivity with sure. working from home. Um, but that that was a large part of mine. Was like I can't hear what I'm doing, you know. So. And, and I've said it before, but I'll say it again. It was very very impressive on part of the you know entire staff that we got uh to make a space oh, done the fact under that lockdown. we started animation on that that's right after the lockdown started yeah is kind of crazy and it, it, it was just a, it was easily one of the most complex show we've done yeah. and on top of that it was a full 20 minute you know yeah. show aside from anything else not to be boring and and and, and management about it but mm. you know just the file management you know we yeah. couldn't do things the way that we normally did them and mm-hmm. it had to it had to come together really quickly in a way that it, definitely not a perfect system, but that functioned well enough that we could just keep things moving. Mm-hmm. And the, the fact that that all happened the way it did is, is yeah, really impressive. We were, I think that we were lucky in that we were quite a, uh, an experienced crew with each other at that point, yeah. though. You know yeah, what I mean? True. We'd already gone through the sort of Quimbo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The pressure cooker of <laughs> yeah. doing Quimbo right. together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, we were already very good at kind of online communication yeah. and that kind of thing i think we were already doing our monday morning meetings yep um with the you know zoom online meetings. like the zoom meetings exactly we were already kind of doing a lot of that stuff yeah. so but but you know we said that like you know the covid was unprecedented times but i think when you've got like someone working in unions and people are losing their jobs left right and center that actually means something well exactly. yeah like yeah the, the, it, it absolutely throws into question like well what are uh you know the rights that you have when suddenly you're working from home and yeah. everything's different. Uh, <clears throat> Mel, what is Mel's job specifically? Mel is the secretary of the Council of Trade Unions. Okay. So so the Council of Trade Unions is the peak union body. So you've got a bunch of unions mm. that all sort of, uh, what do you call them? They're, they're affiliates to this central body that sort of 
oversees union activity in right. New Zealand. You know? Right. See, and, I, and liaises with government and stuff like that. So. I, I thought that uh, my misunderstanding was that I thought that uh, Mel was specifically like in charge of the like the actors' uh, guild. Oh, screen she performers. was. When we she first was. met, she was. Um, she was. She was the only. Uh, employee, so, okay. so the director of, of Equity New Zealand, which is the actors' union, mm-hmm. um, and then oh, that was what twenty seventeen, and it was uh, twenty nineteen that she uh, started the CTU job. Mm-hmm. So, so as president of this is not talking about what we do at all, yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. but but there's there is a new bill that affects us as film industry workers, um, the the Screen Industry Workers Bill. Mm. Um, that was uh, a working group that happened under the Labour government. Mm-hmm. Um, that was all about the whole, you know, there was there was a bunch of stuff in the news about repealing the Hobbit law and they were going to get rid of the, the quote-unquote Hobbit law, Yeah, um, which was a piece of legislation that needed to be, to be put away. Yeah. I watched um, just this week on, um, me and my friends decided to watch the 1977 Rankin-Bass animated Hobbit film. Oh, yeah. Really interesting and honestly, like, it just rockets along because it's a series of episodes, you know, put together in sort of an hour film. Right. The designs are really awesome. At times, the animation doesn't do them justice. It's very pose to pose. They'll sort of come to a stop. Yeah. But they look beautiful. And it got us thinking about those Hobbit films. So I rewatched uh, Lindsay Ellis's um, YouTuber I really love um, video essay series on The Hobbit and did it in a very funny way. It's the first two are part one and part two. Then the third one is part three of two as a little nod to the fact that, you know, it was going to be two films and they decided to make it three part one is just reviewing the films themselves what they like how they were adapted from the source material part two is about the production of the film and the hell that went on there and part three was the uh the legal spill uh spillover the fact that there was this law rushed through to uh you know essentially to favor uh you know warner brothers media giant if i'm understanding it right it made all screen actors in new zealand freelancers uh, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So independent so, contractors rather than yeah, employees. Yeah. So, so yeah, basically, and mm-hmm. and so the not to get too in the weeds about it, but the legislation has passed through government now, mm-hmm. um, and she's been in this job for three years. You know, so um, it was slowed down by COVID. I think you know with everything that was going on, of some course. bits of legislation took longer to get through the the process. But um, but uh, but it is coming into effect this year. And so it will affect all film workers. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, at, when she was at Equity, um, she was part of the working group that basically sort of did all the problem solving and drafted the, the I, I don't know what it was, memorandum or whatever that uh-huh. went into the, the, the drafting of that law. Um, but that was a combined guilds and, and um you know, industry bodies and stuff all getting together, producers, writers, actors, uh, techies, everybody, mm. um, and getting on the same page in terms of, okay, this is, we're, we're, we're all happy with this set of basic terms that we can put into, like, uh, you know, into legislation and, and set set minimums and terms and conditions and stuff like that. So so that, that was kind of the, the reaction them getting together to do that as a working group was kind of in response to this call to repeal this law. It's like, well, yeah, okay, you can repeal the law, but you need to replace it with something. Sure. So they all got together to figure out what to replace it with. Yeah, exactly. The, what, right. the what would the ideal uh, way that things should work be? Totally. You've got to sort that and think it out because otherwise, you know, yeah. if, there are, if there, are, there is no specific law protecting 
uh, people as they work well. Yeah. It can be taken advantage yeah. of. I imagine that you'd know a fair, uh, you're obviously being married to Mel, but also you are an actor, so this yeah, would affect yeah. you. Yeah, so I mean, and, and funnily enough, when we first met, I wasn't a financial member of Equity, so mm-hmm. and she was just like, you are rejoining your union. Um, and uh, but, but I had been a, you know, a dues-paying, active member of Equity and and, and as a union member had gone to things like the the public meetings that were happened you know that, that happened between guilds and stuff o- mm. over the years and and um, you know definitely you know certainly interested in the union side of the screen industry and how we all you know it's a collaborative medium right and so mm-hmm. you, you've just got to have those collective bargaining collective tools. bargaining is is kind of a yeah a basic thing and the fact that and, and that's the frustrating thing about um, people being independent contractors is that technically you're your own standalone business right and so when individual businesses get together um and set prices it's price fixing i see you know and so that's the logic by which you cannot collectively bargain if you're an independent contractor which which is pretty shaky because you're like you know uh, a group of you know actual businesses let's say corporations getting together and price fixing very bad yeah you want that to be illegal and vodafone deciding that they're going to ramp up prices Uh together that's an industrial level price fixing issue but saying that that should be legislated again saying that literally you know hundreds of individual actors performing on screen are technically each a business so they're not allowed to collectively bargain yeah right you can see why that would cause problems so so it's 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 sort of illegal on a technicality you know yeah just because by definition you are a standalone business it but but in in real world terms it it doesn't really make sense to treat an independent contractor that way you know like for tax purposes maybe sure but you know in terms of what rate you can charge and 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 comparing notes with your colleagues yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's it's a weird thing that that um, that they seem to have found the solution for. It, okay, right. I'm glad to hear um, it. Well, because that's the thing; it's not like suddenly now all film workers are going to be employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might be getting this wrong. I don't have my head around the nitty gritty of it, but basically, one of the things that they have put together is is that independent contractors can negotiate collectively through their guild or industry body or whatever for minimum terms without it being considered price fixing i think cool okay yeah i would need to double check and is this what you guys are doing up in auckland at the moment working on this or is this oh no 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 this is this is mel's old job before she was at ctu oh okay because now she's just actors little to nothing to do with it okay okay now now she's part of the body that governs all unions Yes, so yeah. quite quite a uh, quite a step up in terms of responsibility. Yeah, it's a high pressure job. I and so, imagine. well, that to come all the way back around to the beginning of the question, mm. it's been a big year. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. became parents, not, and she's in the middle of this term doing this high power job. That's right, and that's why you moved down to Wellington. Yes, because yeah, you're yeah, an Auckland yeah. guy. Uh, you yeah, we, we're both from Auckland. Yeah. Both from Auckland. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, um, and you no, know, are you North Shore? No. Uh, yes oh really <laughs> yeah. no, I'm not, I, a sure I mean, boy. not for a long time <laughs> right but, okay uh, yeah yeah i was one yeah. of those kids that like basically headed across the bridge as soon as i could oh like, right okay I don't, yeah. I don't, yeah. like i don't mind you know like it's my family's nice. all on the shore it's the shore's pretty, fine like, yeah but yeah, i yeah. never Folks understood home, as a guy who didn't grow up in north shore it's bloody lovely over there <laughs> yeah it's fine <laughs> D- devonport right. is yes it is technically yeah. across the water but it's not oh, what i think a little bit of a 
It's separate. Not, okay. It's not right, what I think right. of when I think North Shore oh, right, and those okay. communities. Okay. It's like yeah. kind of on its own. Well, I grew right. up in Glenfield, which is right. deep in the bowels of the North sure. Shore. Like right. it's, that's a very it's different experience. Area, you sure. know? Yeah. 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 Glenfield's kind of the massive suburb that just sits right in the middle of the North Shore and there's all of these other suburbs around it until right. you get as far as like East Coast Bays and mm-hmm. stuff. But um, yeah, so no, I, I grew up deep in suburbia, which was fine. But yeah. the I just, I, I just remember finishing school study or whatever and, and and as soon as i was working the, the idea of driving across the bridge every day i was just like Ooh, forget that i want to do that yeah. you know so yeah i've always yeah just that one point is the problem isn't it just yeah. one way yeah. just one bridge yeah to get to the or you got you can drive around the long way but it's like what, yeah. like three or four hours yeah <laughs> so. i mean you know my, my family members who live on the shore still commute across the bridge and yeah stuff, and yeah yeah i just wouldn't choose to do that if i didn't have to mm-hmm. yeah yeah. yeah. I, I, also, so you, like straight away, did you decide to become an actor? Is that when you said you started work, oh, was yeah, working? Oh, working as um, an actor. Yeah, acting was always the first thing, first and foremost for me. Um, until very recently, I've said it's still it's still priority number right. one. You know, yeah. it's just that not what I've been doing. Yeah. Um, I still have an agent. I still audition. I chucked down a self te- test for a TV commercial the other day. Um, but that's probably about the size of role that right. i could that i could squeeze in right now uh-huh. you know because we got a lot going on <laughs> yeah, so right. so a couple of days shooting sure i can make that work but if i was to suddenly get a big role that was several weeks or, or a year or whatever yeah. it'd be like oh this is actually like a problem i'd have to mm-hmm. i'd have to find somebody else to do my job yeah now, yeah you know yeah so yeah um, so yeah because this is it um we were just saying before we went on before we started recording you're you're a producer here now. In I am. Okay. Yes. And you, it's, a, it's a sort of recent development. Yeah, you took, you took years, the strangest right? route to becoming a producer, God, starting as an actor, yeah. um, and then a whole bunch of other stuff in the middle. Yeah. You, you came to Muck Putty the same time as I did. Yes. Uh, yep. As an animatic ed- editor, was yeah. it? Yeah. Right. So so that's the thing. As, a, as an out-of-work actor, right. I have... And I think around about the time I was working on Barefoot Bandits, I think, yeah, it was... I, I remember counting up the number of jobs I was doing one week, and it was like five. It was five different jobs. Wow, really? Well, because because Bandits for me as animatic editor wasn't full time. It was I think originally the plan was two weeks on, two weeks off, right? Okay. Because um, it only takes about two weeks to to do a half hour animatic. Okay, fine. Um, but the scripts weren't all ready at the outset, so it wasn't a clean two weeks on, two weeks sure. off. So things stretched out. And, like, the animation schedule was longer than that anyway. So what we ended up doing was, like, I'd come in um, early enough to get the animatic done in time for animation to start, but the gaps were, you know, much bigger than two weeks on, two weeks off. Um, And so I ended up just kind of, if I wasn't off doing some casting work or some writing or some acting or working on the wharf with my dad, which was a good little gap filler as well, which I've done on and off since what? I left What's high that school. Now? What's yeah. that? Uh, I was a, I have been a casual water cider, um, alongside acting and what's writing. water cider it's a, a, a like wolfie a, you know like unloading a, like containers okay. no 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 i never drew, drove a hoist okay um physically lifting I, I, things. I was literally the pair of hands okay. yeah yeah so right. so the last oh the last things that i did there well the last thing i did on the actual wharf itself was the smelliest job that you can find on the wharf um was uh unpacking and repacking a tuna container right oh, yeah, boy, yeah like a, fro- stink, a, yeah. a refrigerated container full of tuna <laughs> yeah right and if there's something goes wrong with the uh with the fridge unit or whatever or there's damage to the container you've got a, a limited time frame 
before that's millions of dollars worth of fish right. gone yeah. to rot, literally. And so we'd get down there and um, a crew of us, like, there would be a guy on the hoist, um, but a bunch of us would literally just be gloves on, paper suit on. Big uh, clothes peg Big old nose. clothes yeah. peg on the nose. But man, there's no way to get rid of that stink. Like, right. It, yeah. it, it's, such, <laughs> it's, such, um, it's such grubby work that like, You'd get a day's pay for however long it took, and it usually only took around three or four hours. Okay, um, but you wanted hazard pay for the and there, well, yeah, there it's were, a tough three or four. There were hours, usually right? beers afterwards as well. It's yeah. like yeah, you you do the you do the the rough gig down there, get paid a full day, chill out with a beer afterwards, then and you strip that stinky paper suit off at the end, and then you get home and scrub as best you can. Like it's uh, yeah right. Yeah. Well, I, I bet though, like after doing that, you're like, yeah, yeah, storyboard animation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah Can I ask, did you know how to, had you had any experience as like an animatic editor or an editor before I, this? Yeah. I, so, okay. Let's do a quick rundown of my checkered let's. professional yeah. past. And how you get to know the guys. Yeah, yeah. Stuff. Yeah. So, so I, um, well, I know Alex from high school. We just happened to go to the oh, same Oh, no way, school. really? I did yeah. not know that. So, so... Quick, um, uh, just before we leave yeah. off that, what was he like in high school? He was, from my memory, we, we weren't like first degree friends in high school. We mm-hmm. did have a, a mate in common who, when we were closer to intermediate age, there were a couple of times where the three of us hung out and stuff. And, sure. And, um, but really all I can say is uh, less tattooed and constantly drawing. Like, he, yeah, he, he, was, he so was absolutely... Exactly the, the same as less tattoos. <laughs> yeah. He you was mean, the guy constantly... He and Steve both were constantly drawing cartoons. Right. Alex is the one that made a career out of it, you know, so... Um, I guess that's what yeah. you'd expect. That sounds yeah, yeah. right. It was absolutely his identifier from day one. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was cartoon guy. Yeah. Um, so high so, school yeah. with Alex and then High school with Alex there. and then from there uh, I in a roundabout way ended up going to South Seas in 1998 when it was in I don't know if it's still in White Oak Park. That's like an arts college, right? Yeah, film school. Um, but back when I did it, I think they've now I think it's very different now than when I went there, but basically I think there was an acting school that's separate to the film school part of it hmm. or there was last I checked. Um, it was all one. There, okay. there was an animation school at the time that I wasn't aware of at the time. See, I had the nothing reason, to do with it. Reason I asked is because I'm pretty sure William uh, went there. Yeah, William yeah. William Patton. Oh, it? really? Yeah, just... I'm, I'm fairly certain that's where he said he studied uh, okay, animation. Okay. Oh, yeah. Right. See, I I think I just happened to drive past it once and went, oh, they have an animation school as well. We didn't have anything to do with the animation school. We were doing the live action stuff over on the shore. Mm-hmm. Um, the animation school was from memory, just around the corner here. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, and so my first my first job out of film school was at iHug back when there was an iHug um, internet company uh, right. on the help desk there. Um, That's a very two thousands name for an internet two, company yeah, with yeah, the yeah. I at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Or, right. If it was in the nineties, it would be an E. Yeah. In the two thousands, yeah. it's an I. In the call center back when call centers were still a thing locally, um, I think they might still be, but. Um, uh, and then, and then I ended up. But gravit- did, did oh. you do acting in college, or was it general filmmaking? It was both. Okay, so right. so I th- after I left, it kind of split off, and there was an acting school and there was a yeah. filmmaking school. But when you were there, it was when I was there, acting was just one of the like specialty. And if you wanted subjects. to be a director, you go in there, and, yep. and they teach acting so we, as well. Yeah, yeah. The the I think my my qualification has. Uh, 
I don't even know if we called it a major because it wasn't like a degree course. It was one year. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but a you could do you could do acting, directing, writing, editing, um, camera. I think it was camera and lighting, um, sound. And so some people went there, and and in hindsight, I think the thing to do with a school like that is go and learn how to use equipment if you don't really yeah. know how to use yeah. equipment. You know, go and do the camera and do the editing and do the lighting and do the sound. Everything else comes. I think there's a, a great risk in kids coming out of study going, I'm a director. It's like, right. no, you're nowhere near being a director. Yeah, yeah. Go and make something. Sure, you're a director. <clears throat> cool. Mm-hmm. You want to be a screenwriter? Write a script. Great. You're a screenwriter. You absolutely should have that belief in yourself that I'm doing this thing and so that's what I am and I can call myself that thing. Yeah. And it's something I wrestled with with acting until quite a few years later, you know, where I was doing acting classes um, and there was definitely a point, I remember talking about this with people in class and it, it was like a one one night a week class. Uh, Michael Sassenti was the was the teacher and, and I had resisted going to drama school because I'm like, I don't want to spend three years studying full time to develop bad habits. I don't know what I didn't know any better. And I was just like, something told me that I didn't want to spend a lot of time doing the wrong thing. And that might've been a mistake, right? you know, but like, I was like, I don't know which way to go until met this guy and gut feeling just kind of went, yeah, no, I think he seems like the right fit for me and trained with him and ended up training with him for years. So, right. So it was like a couple of years worth of the, the, the main course and then he did a master class as well and right. I carried on for several years after doing the first couple of years of training with him and meantime though everything you've learned at South Seas for um like just the technical side yeah, of filmmaking well, by the time you still you still bring that along with you well by the time I met him and started doing those classes I was working at TVNZ right so yeah, yeah. yeah. um and I'd worked there for a couple of years and that had evolved into that had gone started full-time and then I'd gone freelance you mm-hmm. know was a contractor um, and so in becoming a contractor, started um, picking up bits and work, bits of work here and there at different post-production facilities um, through people who I knew from TVNZ, at least to start with. Um, and that turned into quite a few years of just kind of bouncing around as an assist. Um, right. t- tape operating back before everything went fully digital, uh, edit assisting, you know, digitizing footage from tape and setting things up for the editor and stuff. And every now and then I would do a little bit of editing on a small project with friends or something like that, but I never really worked as an editor per se. Sure. You know, I was, I was never the editor. I was just picking up shifts here and there to help out. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and juggling that with other stuff, acting if it happened to come along, you know, which I was getting bits and pieces, but nothing. Really yeah. significant for the so when, when for we were talking about the idiot vision stuff the other day yeah when yeah. does that come into it okay so uh in mike's classes i met a guy named toby sharp who i ended up flatting with um and when i was working at tvnz i uh one of the last sort of things that i'd done most of what i did when i was there was tape operating and i ended up working on this overnight music show called m2 which ran from memory like 2000 to 2002 um three nights a week thursday friday saturday and um and there was a camera operator fresh off the boat from from the uk called alan parr who we, we know alan parr well yep. friends yep. of the podcast um, yeah so so a couple of years later um i was in acting classes with this guy toby we were flatting together he was like hey we should do this 48 hour thing 
was the second year it had ever happened. You know. Oh wow! Yeah. Right. So you were right there from kind of nearly almost the right beginning. at the beginning. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's yeah. kind of cool. And I was like, oh well, I know a camera guy who who's pretty cool, and I haven't caught up with him in a while, so gave Alan a call. And um, and that was kind of the core of our team, along with uh, Ben, who was our flatmate at the time, um, me and Toby's at least. Um, and so, yeah, we made a couple of atrocious films the first couple of years. <laughs> right. um, well, maybe not atrocious. Yeah, just I don't pretty think so. shonky, you know. Stuff like, that, was, that I saw, I thought was... Now, I might have watched the later ones. They were but, definitely yeah, the later ones. Right, yeah, okay. we, we did hit our stride eventually. Okay. I, I was just looking yeah. at some old stuff in my... Um, my external hard drive where i just store everything i've ever made and there's stuff that you want people to see yeah. and then the stuff that you go this will just be for me to hold ha, on to yeah, you know yeah yeah, yeah. We've, we've definitely got that sort of stuff as well we were like we should we shouldn't just make 48 out little god sorry we shouldn't just make 48 hour films we should be making stuff in between times as well mm. and so we'd get together and we'd shoot some stuff and it was basically kind of shonky sketch comedy garbage and <laughs> yeah. it never turned into anything were you on that uh, the swingers i think it was called uh it's quite funny it was like um no like, i think that was the first year i didn't do it. oh was it was that, that, was, that, that was the hours, kids was show it? musical yeah. thing right yeah, yeah. yeah. no really that, funny. funnily enough ouch so. other simon you managed to pick the one year <laughs> no no no, no. <laughs> but that, that was the first year that we did well at all and okay. so oh, really? i i was out of town doing a play in hamilton of all things so mm. i was starting to dip my toe into theater at that point right and um and uh yeah so i wasn't i just wasn't available okay that that year and um it, and it was before you could kind of do things remotely film it on your phone and send it up you know we were still doing everything on mini tv at that point and um and yeah and so and so the team went and did it and i'm still sort of part of the team but just not there that year and all of a sudden they make the finals and i'm like oh, oh, oh okay <laughs> oh, stink. yeah maybe yeah. they're better off without me well yeah. I, I hope that you you probably understood on a certain level like it was just they happened to make a really good film that year that the judges responded to which oh, yeah. you can never account for no, but no. understandably there is a part of you that you know the like the the totemic symbolic part of you that goes like i was i was what was wrong yeah, yeah. the self-flagellating <laughs> act in me, in me is like Yes, I was the problem. Yeah. <laughs> but okay, so you guys started off the 48 Hour Film Festival, which has come up, I think, in every single podcast we've ever done. Yeah. Well, Everybody I mean, here, like, it's an important thing it really in New is. Zealand. Yeah. Such a uh, locus for creatives. Well, I mean, really? you, guys have, you guys have talked about Megan on the podcast? I don't think we've had a no. chance to talk no, about No, because it's pretty recent, right? Um, yeah. Gerard Johnson, first ever winner, you know. The first ever, first ever winner? winner of the 48 Hours. Wow. Yeah. That yeah. adds up. Yeah. And, and you know, like, um, GP who voices to make a space for us. He, right. he was in that film along, you know, with Gerard. I think right. they knew each other from South Seas days. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I went to South Seas the same year as, as GP. Uh, we, we just had, um, we had Liam McGurin the weekend before he won uh, best film yeah. in the most recent one. Yeah. It's, it's such a good, um, it, it just goes to show what an important thing it is for creatives in New Zealand, yeah. you know, yeah. having that opportunity that lim- that limitation of forty eight hours it just brings out you know the beast and in everyone totally. yeah exactly exactly and it's not too st- this was what I was kind of where I was getting with this is that if you were in from the start you don't really have a feel for what's going to work at forty eight hours yeah. you know because um, there haven't been that many yeah. know, years yeah. to sort of go oh well this is look we this is definitely what we're- started off with uh, you know what we were attempting to do as a serious film okay unintentionally hilarious maybe <laughs> right. But, uh, <laughs> I think the second year we were going for comedy, but it was 
it has not aged well. I played right. a female lead, so you know, it's, oh, it's I see. All, I of those, all of those <laughs> gags. You know, yeah. it's like yeah. it's not good, right? Um, you know, not not standing by that one or right. keeping well, it on my look, show. I tell you what, we'll cut then to the the one that I really liked. Which okay, was, the, was it actually? Was it was the fifty percent mail order bride? That's not a no. So that's not a forty-eight okay, hour. We won't talk about that yet. Okay, but that's still the same guys, right? Yes, same team. But, well, that's that's the film that we made with our winnings when uh, we uh, when okay. we got runner up. So we there was one year where we were second overall, right? Um, and so there was some prize pool stuff, you know, uh, a little bit of money, a little bit of uh, equipment and and stuff, and uh, and Alan was studying at Unitech at the time he'd gone back to study because he felt like he needed to train more right um and so his Unitech class basically on mass turned up to be our crew so we we had yeah this this weird hybrid Unitech student crew 48 hours winnings going into a short film wow that's nice yeah 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 Yeah, and what was the what was the film that came runner up uh it was uh confessions of a fabricator yeah, oh, so okay. that was yes. 2010, yeah. I believe. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and that I've seen that. That's on your uh, your Vimeo. That's really funny. And and uh, as I've said, funny that uh, until I watched that video, didn't realize you and Alan Parr knew each other and were collaborating that oh, yeah. early. Yeah, you, yeah. We go way back. Yeah. You play uh, you play a guy who's sort of lonely, love life not going the way he wants. Yeah, has some has uh, some uh, self indulgence with a sock, and then the next day the sock is alive as a sock puppet yeah. talking to you and your your sock puppet come lover uh turns out to be like what the lover? love of your life <laughs> <laughs> you heard me yeah um yes and and you know what the 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 thing that made that work was playing it absolutely straight mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's such a silly scenario that yeah we that was i remember that being a discussion at the time it was like there's only one way this isn't going to be just one of those forgettable, dumb, silly gag films. And that's if we absolutely hit those romantic comedy beats and I play it straight. Yeah. Uh, in, in the montage where you're seeing, you know, you two uh, living out your love, the good days and the bad, you're really giving it your all. And uh, Alan is really like playing it really small and real, which is yeah. really funny coming from a sock. Yeah. So yeah. it works. Alan's an amazing puppeteer. Right. Like he came over one time with a puppet one of the ones that he was using in his school tours. And because uh, he was like, we should film something with one of these. It was another one of those like film some stuff and nothing happens with it kind of things. Mm-hmm. But we just hung out and I ended up talking to the puppet, not Alan, you know, because right, yeah. well, that character yeah. was really in the room with us. And that's it's just cool. like, man, that's When you've got a good amazing. puppeteer, um, yeah. you can't help but begin to just accept it as real. Uh, yeah. I, I may have told this uh little anecdote but there's a really funny clip of well just look at any clip of jim henson on a talk show where he brings out the puppet Mm -hmm. and he says it it helps that he has a huge bushy beard and you don't see much of his mouth but he says you know i'm not a ventriloquist i don't really feel the need to disguise the fact that i'm here and controlling him because your eyes just automatically go to the puppet it's just fascinating to watch this little thing that appears to be alive Mm. but that's it you have to be a good puppeteer yeah you know yeah well that's when uh it was the henson crew came here right and did shows and, and the mucks went and met oh that's right, right. yeah right. and they that's said they did like a sesame street live like yeah but it yeah. was weird how quickly you are in conversation with the puppet <laughs> mm-hmm. and the puppeteer is not really there yeah it's it's yeah it's yeah. incredible when it, you, they, they talk about like you know they don't say we met the puppeteer they did but they said yeah, we yeah. met ernie yeah, yeah. yeah. ernie yeah, yeah. totally right. i'd that's love right. to meet ernie who would yes. oh yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. I want to know about Bert. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ernie, Ernie gets all the love because he's the fun one. I was like, what's it like? What's it like being the stick in the mud? Yeah. You know, <laughs> the original you know, squibber. Like, obviously, Costello is very talented, but he needs Abbott there absolutely. being the straight man. Yep, yeah. yep, mm. totally. And um, and obviously, Alan worked on the Mo Show, so yeah, yeah. So, so it was kind of. A, into, I think that came later. Yeah, you know, but, but it was yeah. just a natural sort of idea for you two to play. You being such a you know a, a, an experienced yeah. on screen actor. Him being a puppeteer, yeah. perfect idea. And, and, you and credit where it's due, it was 100% Alan's idea as well. Mm-hmm. He, he had the idea for that. Right, yeah. yeah. And we were like, brilliant, yeah, let's do it. You know? right. And um, he, he'd actually already had the idea. And then when we got that genre, it was like, that idea that I had, mm. that's that what work. we should do. Yeah, we're like, yeah. oh my God, totally. Yeah, yeah they kept that in my back pocket. Cool, isn't yeah. It? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty cool. So you that, that came second. And then with the winnings of that, you went on to make 50% yes, Mailer Rock Ride, which yeah. is really funny. The, the the scene in the start where you're in an office and oh and, yeah and, and I haven't watched it in ages okay so yeah, yeah, no, I'll, I'll, right, I'll, yeah I'll I'll remind you <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you have um, a love interest in it a human yeah. proper love interest and she Katie Scott just, Katie Scott yeah. and, and uh, you're both so good there's like just huge smiles you obviously she's adorable you, eh? yeah 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 I haven't I mean, seen Katie you, you both obviously I, I like the, the two characters really like each other but they're being real kind of coy with yeah, each other yeah. and it's just it's gorgeous it's so nice <laughs> to watch um, that film goes places though right it, uh, it does yep. yeah yeah um, uh, you're a brave actor <laughs> <laughs> thanks man yeah, yeah. You've, and you've uh, that's also available to watch on yeah online? I've, I saw that it was either on your YouTube or, or maybe Alan's yeah maybe it might be on Alan's um, yeah I think it, Toby uploaded them uh, all at one point under I'll, Idiot Vision yeah I think if you search but, Idiot yeah. Vision all yeah. that stuff comes up um, well Mail Order Bride isn't but I'm pretty sure most if not all of our 48 hour films are on the screening room like they they do a pretty good archive of, right. of all of the years i think where does headshot come in headshot was i think it was the year after fabricator right okay, the sock yeah. movie let's yeah. call it because yeah. that's what everybody calls it um yeah i think because again that's a very gorgeous cute honestly and, and, and your acting is so it's yeah, my favorite of our 48 hour films sock movies are one that people remember right but i feel like all the pieces came together and i, I think because fabricator was was a hard weekend and we weren't all getting along well uh-huh. and and it was just we weren't sure if it was going to be good or not when we finished because everybody was tired and a little bit cranky and whatever and then it was like a nice surprise that it landed well and people liked it, mm. and, it and it did well in the competition whereas headshot headshot did well as well um it didn't do as well it, it, i think it made the national finals but didn't place or whatever you right know? um and, and probably Mia, not as sensational oh right oh, yeah not yeah, as sensational yeah. no not as in your face so not as not as like well it's definitely got a got a silly gag at it the really center does. of it yeah but it's not as gag driven i don't think yeah the, no i definitely think it's one that was uh, uh, actor driven yeah yeah I the, yeah the, i think that's the, what the two i like you together about it like yeah. really good yeah. there, like you say there's a gag i love your delivery of that gag which is like just you know, your face doesn't move. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, like, so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and so I, I edited that actually. Like right. that, okay. a lot of the editing for a little while was forty-eight hour stuff. So I, I would have been doing, I would have been doing, um, you know, freelancing, you know, tape stuff and assisting stuff. Um, but it was things like the forty-eight hours where I would actually do some proper editing. Right. Yeah. yeah. And do you get to know the guys from Forty Eight Hours? Like, how do you? I mean, the the Muppet guys. Oh yeah, because well, yes. again, we're big kind in the Forty Eight yeah. Hours scene. Yeah, so uh, like, 
Yeah, I think it must have been 48 hours that really was the kind of regular check-in with them. And, and um, yeah, so so met Ryan and, and Tim um, and already knew Alex, obviously, and and, um, and knew them by reputation as well. Like, sure, big fan and supporter right from the beginning because I knew one of them. Um, and then, um, yeah, then at a certain point... Um, and and oh, and every time they entered, they made the finals, right? So they were right. they were these like crazy animators who how the hell did you do that? Don't know, but they yeah. just dip their toe in and slay it every time they, you know, yeah. have the energy to do it. Um, so it was cool. We, anytime they were there, they were in the finals, so we catch up with them there. And, you know, it was cool. Um, and so at a certain point, I moved to Aussie. I kind of got a little okay, burnt out right. on being in New Zealand and frustrated right. and. I was, you know, I was accepting that I was a character actor and not going to get cast in big lead roles, um, but you're just just frustrated and and hoping that, that maybe there's happening. a bigger market for actors. That was Oz. the logic. Well, I, I, oh, <laughs> oh god, okay. So before that, uh, landed a an, an ad that turned into a big ad campaign that ran for three years. Um, insurance company, um, don't need to name them. Um, but was very much known as that guy the from guy. those ads. Right. Very recognizable in the street. I started shaving my beard off to just give myself a little anonymity, right. you know, between times. But in the middle, and I was still working at TVNZ at that point, you know. Um, and so in the middle there, well paid job though, you know, good That's lump the of difference, cash from yeah. doing a bunch of ads. Yeah. Um, and um, so did a big trip to the States, spent a bit of time in LA, but in New York. Didn't do anything acting-wise over there, um, but fell in love with New York, decided, I'm going to live in New York, so came back home. Um, An actor in New York. <laughs> I know. Um, but the, uh, yeah, then, so came back home and bumped into the producer of the ads, and he was telling me all about these plans they had for the next lot of ads and stuff, And because I'd made this comment of, like, if it happens again. He was like, oh, it's going to happen again, because we've been talking to the client, and we've got these plans to bring in, like, the parents, and maybe you guys have a kid, because it was a couple thing, and blah, 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 and all, all of these sorts of things. And then uh, I, I swear it was only a few weeks later that my agent rang and went, so they're ending the campaign. Um, right, and I think it was right, just, like, an yeah. internal thing at the company – new head of marketing came in and just wanted to wipe the slate clean, do his own thing or something like that. That happens a lot. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, and I was like, and the funny thing was financially, I was like, not in a good position because I had got, I had become very fast and loose with the money that was coming through. Sure. Doing things like traveling to the States. Yeah. Um, and hadn't kept up with things like taxes and stuff. <laughs> um, but um, my initial reaction weirdly was like, ah, Okay what's next yeah you know yeah, i always yeah. wrestled a little bit with that being the thing that i was known for absolutely and it's nice to get that paycheck but yeah like, yeah you, you kind of want to get that paycheck anonymously yeah you know, like and, you say, well yeah shave and your I, beard. I had started doing a lot of theater you know right okay between the ads yeah. and so i i'd gone to the states come back to new zealand and not resumed the, the working at tvnz stuff so i was kind of just living off ad money Right, probably could have been keeping my hand in some day job a little more than I was, um, but uh, oh, but you know, like I, I, there were other ads that I picked up over that period as well, sure. local ones and stuff, um, and so I was getting I was getting enough to live on, yeah, and doing all of the theatre that I could throw myself at because and and a, a few things came along just because I was available, like somebody dropped out at the last minute and they're like, can you learn this and like 
a day. And I'm like, sure. sure, it's a monologue show. I can learn a monologue in a day. Let's go. And so, you know, three nights doing a monologue. Is this, cool. and is this in theater? This is more theater, theater work. Yeah, right? yeah. Like so stage is, that, is that the one where, as an actor, like that's the trenches? You know, yeah, like man. you, you yeah. got to be fearless if you're going to stand up on a stage, uh, uh, you know, a live yeah. performance in front of people and do a thing. I, I mean, yeah, I think so. I don't know. I mean, it depends on different people work in different ways, you know. And I, I came from a background of. Uh, you know, the, the acting classes I was doing was very much all about moment to moment work connection, things feeling improvisational, even though you've got a full script and everything yep. and, and, um, and keeping things really alive and, and not sort of the opposite of like the classical instruction of you learn your lines, you get the punctuation down, you mark everything out, you, you know, like, and, and it wasn't until, a few years down the track, once I'd done a bit of theatre, that I that I I did a show um, called Eigengrau with uh, Paul Gittins directing, um, and uh, and he came very much from the the other side of the fence, you know, with the the preparation and rocking right. and things kind of being more choreographed and timed, and you know, and and that was something that I had really wrestled with because it was like keep it loose and keep it improvisational, keep the energy up, and you know, blah. blah, blah. Um, and, but the the other actors in the play, two of them were much more sort of aligned with his way of doing okay. things, and the other one was uh, Chelsea McEwen Miller, who um, was a mate of mine from acting class, and so she and I very much operated the same way. Uh, but it was uh, it was Callum Gittins and Michelle Blundell were the other two actors. Michelle comes from a very prep heavy. We do not work the same way, but I absolutely fell in love with working with her, and um, and we we had a great working relationship through right. rehearsals and stuff and it was it was kind of that point at which i'd done enough that i could just get over myself and meet them in the middle you know right. it wasn't yeah. it wasn't me hanging back and going you're not working the way that works for me you know right. it was like no okay I, i'll do my thing over here and then we'll figure it out on the floor okay and you're bringing your thing to it and i'm bringing my thing to it and there were things that there was one scene in particular that i never felt like we got quite right um but some nights it worked and some nights it didn't. Okay, right. and I think I think that was the we got lucky sometimes. But it wasn't until after we'd finished doing the show that I was like, oh, I know what would have worked, right? You know? yeah, yeah. And it was entirely my side of the equation, me going, oh, right, no, okay. Well, if you had done this, then it might yeah, be. yeah. Like, if, do you think that she's also going? Well, if I had done this, then maybe yeah. it would have worked more consistently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard about conflicts between actors where. There are some actors, like you say, who they read the script, they do those lines, etc. And yeah. then there are the ones that like, uh, I guess, the art of acting to be just a little bit more alive and in the moment. Yeah. And sometimes that can rub up against each other, but you need a bit of both. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't mean you're not sticking to the script, though. You, know, you can well, You can work improvisationally and be word perfect. It's just it's just the the approach you have to... It, it's like, it's like you'll, you'll do something that you're not thinking about and it's you know a little improvisational yeah, you know, sure. you're not you're sure, not thinking sure. about it it's just sure. this random thing that happens and an actor who's a little more classically trained might go whoa wait a minute why did you do that you know okay. and you're like oh it's just a thing that happened you know and it's like well they've they've made choices and are making offers and you know and you are doing that when you're coming at it from a more Meisnery sort of a, a angle but um, but ideally you're not planning it all out in advance you yeah know? you're leaving room for things to 
unfold as they will and, yep. and, and feel alive in the moment. So I heard this good tip actually uh, in a podcast recently where what you do is you just read your lines. Don't look at the other. Yeah, like, yeah. Even, I do in that. In fact, black yeah. out the other uh, performers' lines so you don't know what they're going to say. Yeah. And so that therefore, huh. you know your lines. Yeah. So you can you know your lines are good, but you don't know what they're going to say. Yeah. So you have to listen, and it keeps you in the moment. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. That's Depe- good, depends on the project. Trick. But yeah, right. I've, I've heard stories of like great actors from back in the day learning their own lines as a long singular, single line, right. you know. And so it's up to the other actor to step in and give you something to respond to and stuff um i i will pardon me um depending on the project right like sometimes it's a tv show and you know it's going to be really prescriptive and they're going to pull you up if you get a word wrong and so you just okay fine i need to know what my cues are going to be because it's just going to slow shit down in the day and and, um you know you don't regardless of how you work you don't want to be the person that keeps crew waiting you know yeah exactly so so sometimes you've got to just jump through those hoops and and that's one of the reasons that i find auditioning such a horrible way to apply for a job you know it's like you do feel sometimes depending on who it is and the type of script and whatever you kind of feel like you're just hitting poses and jumping through hoops yeah you know it's funny i just um watched a clip because angela lansbury famous actress recently passed away yeah and um she did bed knobs and broomsticks, which was Disney's sort of let's try and do another Mary Poppins. Yeah, yeah. And she said it was very easy, but not that stimulating because those uh, Disney films, even their live action ones, were all storyboarded. So oh, right. every camera angle was decided beforehand. And she said it was just sort of you stand in this place. They say, okay, this is the expression we need you to make for this shot. You know, reaction shot with your mouth open. Another one of you thinking. And she said oh, it's very paint by numbers sort yeah, of acting. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know. That, that can feel very prescriptive and here, pull this face, which somebody who comes from a Meisen background would probably bristle at. You uh-huh. know? But if you kind of understand the overall process and you're like, right, you know, I've definitely had direction from people. Um, and, and ideally, if you've got the time to come at it creatively, you know, which you tend to have more in theatre than you do on screen. Mm. Um they might say what I need is more of this or say it this way or whatever, you know, giving line readings is a real no, no, but it does happen. Um, if you can take a moment to just go, okay, I understand what you're asking me for. I'm just going to unwind that a little bit, figure out how to best incorporate that into how I work. And then let's let the thing spin again. And, mm-hmm. you know, it might not be, you might not be giving exactly what they've, yeah, so is that what you, when you but said, you're doing something that okay solves the problem because I've yeah. heard that thing like line readings. Is that when a director says, "I want you to say it like this," yeah, and hit this and hit this totally, and, and they literally okay. perform. The yeah, line. so put, then yeah. or like you know, put the emphasis on you know, yeah. are you are you going to the pub? It's like, like yeah, no, no, yeah, no. Put yeah. the emphasis on are you going to the pub? Okay, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You need a bit more sense, freedom. You know what I mean? That, yeah, like those those yeah, and it's like. Yeah, I, 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 I think that's the thing. People do get caught up on how they hear it in their heads. Right. And, um, and, and you know, I mean, that's, to bring it back to animation, it's one thing I was, uh, I was talking recently about um, in a creative call with another studio. Um, and this is something that they like to do as well, is that things like the storyboards and the animatics and stuff aren't super prescriptive, you know? there's room in the animatic that the animator can 
bring a little of themselves to it and they're not just matching everything that's in front of them mm-hmm. there's there's room to put their own performance into mm-hmm. the into the work a little more than there might otherwise be if you were kind of being micromanaged and everything was yeah. being directed to within an inch of its life yeah. you know um, and that's something that's always been the case of Mudpuddle, you know. It, it, well, I first started on Bandits. That I, was... I've got a, uh, a, ca- a shot at the moment, and it's bordered with just two characters sitting down. But I mm-hmm. thought it would just be more interesting and give me more acting choices for the, the host of the show, who's a real show-off and in love with himself, loves being on screen, for him to walk in and stand in front of the other guy for a moment <laughs> as he yeah. introduces himself, and the other guy sort of looks past him, and then he sits down and takes his seat. All of those things just add more visual interest to the scene, yeah. even though the storyboard is just them sitting down. Yeah. But this isn't disrupting what happens in the scene. It's mm-hmm. just a little bit more interesting, a little bit of improvisation. How Mike's been doing it a bit, but how often do you guys film reference? Uh, I do you know what? It depends on the shot. Yeah. Um, when we were doing Juju Brain and um, she was playing with the guitar. Yeah. I definitely filmed uh, reference for that. Picked yep. the guitar yep. and jumped around. Totally. Often um, for me, it's just if there's a gesture that I'm having trouble uh, capturing yeah. or a pose. I'm like, what is the human body doing when I am meant to be performing this motion that I will tape myself and do it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because there are physical movements that are specific but weird to visualize. Yeah. You know? Hands yeah. are a biggie. Like yeah. if there's ever hand acting quite often, I will have to film myself because I'm like, what? Yeah. What are all these joints and knuckles doing? I have yeah. no idea. Well, that's been one of the things. Though. It's interesting coming from an acting background and working in animation because somebody made the comment at one point that, that animators are actors. And I'm like, no, they're wait, Yes, they are. Oh, my yeah. God. You know, when like, you watch um, like behind the scenes uh, documentaries on, like say, the Disney films or really any yeah. animated film where they have the luxury, I guess, a bit like theater of like, planning who's going to do what role you know it's not just we hand out every character to everyone but someone gets assigned to direct that role and they come up with like the the uh the body language the visual language of that character how they move and act it is a lot like acting you know they go okay here's what here's how they perform things here's how they don't perform things yeah yeah it's it's kind of like acting though from is a certain type of acting where there's different types of acting it's a far cry from getting on a stage oh yes you know? oh yeah, yeah. Like animators yeah. tend to be like you know it's the introverts acting. Yeah, exactly exactly i was thinking as i was driving in this morning like it because it, it, it's been a while since i've done anything on stage um but i did kind of remember i was just like thinking of the the plays that i've done the the ones that i liked the most anyway like i wrote a play as well which i which i did back in 2014 um but every play that i've done there's always something that goes wrong. And my favorite, my favorite thing that happens in a theater is when something goes wrong. Uh-huh. <laughs> because, and it's amazing though, because it's all about where everybody's attention is, you know? And like, you can do a play and it'll go great and everything happens as it should. And, and you know, but the second something goes wrong, everybody's attention is on that thing that Laser goes wrong. Focus, yeah, right. and yeah. but that's the thing. Everybody's focus being on a singular point in the room is a is a, is a magic thing right that you cannot deny that it's happened and you're at that point you're really truly interacting with the audience because part of you is going yeah okay i know we all saw that <laughs> yeah. i'm going to try and deal with it as best yeah, i can yeah. let's just all pretend we're in this together and and it can be a, such an amazing thing yeah there was a there was a play i did uh I'll, I'll quickly run through three examples. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So the play that I that I wrote was called Thump. It was a very serious play um, where I played 
uh, a boxer, I was in much better shape at the time, um, who was up on assault charges. And the entire play oh, was wow. two guys in a room. It was him and a therapist who was assessing him for trial. Um, and uh, it was written in response to lots of stories of sportsmen being up on like assault and okay. sexual assault charges and things like that. And I was like, this is a recurring issue in yeah. you know, you know, sports. Um, and I'm not a huge sports fan, but I, it was something that kind of just, I don't know, resonated with me. So I wrote this play. Um, but there was a, there was a, I was going to say a scene. It's all one scene. It's a, um, uh, one act play, but, um, there was a bit where the phone rings and it's this guy, this guy who's really surly, really aggressive, like hyper masculine, um, gets a phone call from his four year old daughter. And all of a sudden you see the soft dad come out. Oh, right. and, nice. and, um, but there was one night in particular where the ring happened at the wrong time. <laughs> and so, and so it rang. I knew I knew that it wasn't supposed to ring then because I wasn't in the right part of the play. And I, I went to, I put it back, I looked at it, I put it back in my pocket and it kept ringing. Um, and and I remember mentally doing the math because I'd written it as well, sure. going, how far are we away from that bit? If it's in one line's time, it doesn't matter. I might as well just pick it up. Maybe we're nearly there. Okay, I'm, I think, yeah. Picked it up, did the phone call bit, hung up realized there's a big chunk oh, before sure. the phone call uh-huh. supposed to happen and i turned to the other actor simon wolfram who's, um haven't seen him in a long time but you know dear friend of mine and um and and we'd worked together a lot at that point we were in class together and stuff mm. and um and i sort of looked at and and the line my line was so where were we and he had two options one was to just repeat the, th- the last thing that I said back to me, and one was to do the next line as scripted. Sure. And unfortunately, he threw the line as scripted back at me, and we spent the next... Uh, uh, there were no scene breaks. We couldn't leave the stage. Um, and we spent the rest of the play trying to figure out what we'd missed and shoehorning it back in. It was the messiest thing ever. <laughs> And that was the night Toby came, funnily enough. And he was like, no, it was good. It was was fine. It was not. It was an absolute (laughs) train wreck. Um, The other one was... The other one was a minor thing. It was Eigen Grau, that play that I was talking about before that Paul Gittins directed. And there was just one night in particular where it was was lights down and the set was very simple. It was like four big, plain black wooden blocks that we used as everything. Okay. We'd rearrange them between scenes for the sets. And and we didn't have stagehands. We did it, the actors, in between scenes with lights down. Um, and there was just one scene in particular where one of us came, it was me and Callum and one of us came on before the other one had left the stage and stuff, (laughs) but, oh no, it was me leaving the stage and I didn't get off in time. And he comes on yelling at me, sort of stops, sees me, everybody sees that he's seen me. And then I, I rush off and come back and it was, it was just one of those ones where you, you let that one slip. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But the, the other one, which was kind of fun. Um, it was a play called Treats. Um, it was a it was a scene between myself and Jeff, Jeff Schusterman, who's a you know awesome actor and director and does lots of things. Um, and uh, and he's this cocky guy who's come back from overseas to find that his girlfriend has kicked him out and moved in this nice safe guy who was me. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it's this, it's, and he, but he's the one with swagger and I'm the nice guy from the office who she's really just using to get back at him, you know? And, um, and there was a scene where I make him a coffee, he pours whiskey into it. And, uh, and then eventually 
gives it back to me and I take it off stage. Um, the the stage manager was fresh out of drama school um, and filled the coffee quite full. Right. So Jeff added whiskey to it and it was really full and then can, proceeded to be this like cocky, like brusque guy right. and just and just wandered back and forth across the stage spilling shit on the floor <laughs> everywhere and i and i and i the first time it happened i just looked straight at the floor realized i was staring at the puddle on the floor looked up and realized that all of the audience i was standing right in the middle of you know in front of the stage realized that the audience was looking at it too and i was not the sort of guy who would just leave a mess on the floor so i walked off stage and very hurriedly went i need a cloth i need a cloth i need a cloth and then the stage manager was like what what why what? Oh, here and i was like because part of me was just like i think i saw a cloth backstage right uh-huh. yeah yeah if there isn't this is going to look terrible but i think there was so I managed and so he chucked me a cloth i went on stage i wiped it up i stood there with my dirty cloth and eventually he hands me back the cup and i take it back to the kitchen right, and stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah. but it was it, that was one of those moments it's where it was just like nice. and it still worked in character oh, you totally know? it was totally what yeah the character like, was i was didn't in. know if the t- i didn't like the worst thing that was going to happen was that he was going to finish what he was saying and i was going to be backstage and it was going to be a pregnant weird. because yeah, it was yeah, sure. yeah it was a really carefully like blocked and choreographed show and i was like i can't pretend that that's not there mm-hmm. yeah 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 because it's but not this it's not within your character you know it's not within your character no totally so you go off stage and like you say to the Stage time, like, give me a fucking t shirt. <laughs> that's what it's totally going to take. Anything. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, I, uh, yeah. I had a couple of famous uh, examples of things going wrong on stage that I can share quickly. Um, Kevin Conroy, voice of Batman, ah, recently yeah. passed away, did a lot of stage acting. He was I in, didn't realize he recently passed away. Yes. Oh, very sad. November, yeah. Yeah. He kept, he, you know, oh, you know what? I might have heard you mention that on the podcast. Right. Yeah. He, yeah. he kept it very private and it was very sudden. Okay. Um, so people have been doing retrospectives and someone dug up that he was in a production of the play death trap with brian bedford oh, i know death trap who, i really like death trap is it a good play yeah 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 i went it's scary there's this youtuber matt baum who does like the history of uh gay characters and gay actors in film uh, and tv yeah. but kevin conroy gay actor and he's playing one of these people in death trap Right. And he's playing opposite Brian Bedford, who I know as the voice of Disney's Robin Hood, uh, the Fox. You know the Fox okay, one. Okay, okay. So he's and, older than he's playing the older character. Yeah, and, and he's from other stuff too. But I'm like, yeah, he's the I Disney love Fox. The idea of like old old school animation, like non voice actors going, let's do a play. Yeah, you know, yeah, <laughs> let's put something on in LA. The thing is, I think he, I neither. Well. I, maybe he'd been Robin Hood by this point, yeah. but I think Disney at that point was hiring character actors to be in their films, oh, not okay. established actors. So it kind of had the other way around. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Um, but the reason I was telling this story is because apparently they weren't quite getting along. One of them, like, uh, playfully, sort of just like an improvisation as a character thing, I think sort of chucked something at the other one because they're meant to be quite, you know, irritable with each other, yeah. the, the characters. But apparently it just irritated them they both got on each other's nerves so much on stage that they actually they actually got into a real physical fight oh, wow. on stage Amazing. <laughs> and then once they'd finished fighting they just got up and continued with the play because again it kind of worked for their characters <laughs> robin so hood funny. v batman that's pretty massively cool. unprofessional yeah. <laughs> yeah. i'll say pretty yeah. funny <laughs> um also uh, another famous one is uh do you know wc fields yeah. uh, actor from yesteryear famous for like being a drunk and just being that his character was a huge bastard hated children kicked puppies that sort of thing and he he wrote this famous like 
treatise on why he loves stage acting Mm. but it boils down to this one anecdote where he was on stage and he's meant to be like creeping through a graveyard or something and something went wrong off stage and there was a huge big noise like a crash yeah and he was like and him being a famous you know 20th century wit he just turns to the audience and goes mice (laughs) (laughs) and it got got such a reaction that they worked it into the into the play and did it every night that's so (laughs) funny that's That's an interesting thing about like doing a doing a you know a local version of an existing play is that when you read those like um you know versions of plays that are published from stuff that's been done on broadway or off broadway or whatever there's so much um staging information and uh and stage direction written in that's a and and it takes a little while to realize oh that's not going to work for the setup we've got at the basement theater Mm. you know um you kind of have to throw that stuff out and do what's right for your version of it um which hey a purist might have a problem with but it took me a while to realize oh right that stuff's just written in during rehearsals when they go up to the cat skills to do a run before they take it off broadway to hopefully you know work Mm. their way into the mainstream of, of theater over there and it's like oh yeah they've just they've just built this stuff in for that version of it but right which, but it, it kind of becomes the version of it you know right right but, but there's legitimacy in like every version is its own version yeah, yeah it has to totally. become its own version you've it's got the, to adapt it for the space you're in so in acting is that how you get into writing or mm. And is it that kind of thing? You just kind of go, oh, we, we got to, we got to, you get used to adapting things and changing things. And then before you know it, you're starting to write your own play. It certainly feeds into it. I, I always fancied myself a writer as well. Like, I, I think the first, the first thing I ever wanted to be when I was a little kid, well, I always said it was acting, but I, I think, I think at one point, and I must have only been seven or eight or something, I remember telling my mom, I think that I wanted to be a writer. And she was just like, it's a hard thing to make a living in. I was like, right okay i'll be an actor instead but i think that came from watching tv mm. with my parents and going maybe that's what i want to do and they go well that character's a lawyer and it's not all exciting courtroom drama stuff but you know well that character's a, a police officer it's not all action they've got to go back to the office and they've got to do you know i don't forms. know what they were trying to discourage me from <laughs> yeah. but um but i at a certain point i think don't I be just a lawyer kind of, don't be a yeah. policeman like, how do i get to do those jobs without the boring bit oh yeah. i'll be in it acting I, maybe, yeah. I, maybe they were just trying to discourage like uh people who just chase being a movie star just the glamour of being yeah, the exciting maybe action person who's always doing oh, the totally oh, oh i thought i yeah. thought they were trying to discourage you no, from, from, being from what that character was well, i don't know and, if they were and, trying to discourage and the common denominator was they were some all actors i think it was just it was just me being a little bit you know starry-eyed about right. ooh, being a cop would be cool yeah and like sure but it's not all fun it's stuff not like it much, looks like it? on yeah. the tv yeah. you know when they yeah. say uh you know i've got there'll be a lot of paperwork You'll actually have to do the paperwork. It doesn't just cut to the next exciting yeah, yeah, scene. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, right. So, so anyway, I don't know. I don't know at what point it really in, uh, anchored in my head. Um, were you writing the, the films for Idiot Vision at all? It certainly had a hand in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there were at least a couple of years where, once we'd figured out what we were going to do, generally we worked off like storyboards or a shot list or whatever. You know, you just keep it fast and loose mm. and improvise the scenes a little bit and stuff. Um, there were definitely a couple of years where I went away and wrote a script because I was like, at least if we've got a script, then we can, you know, 
we can ignore it or there might be some good stuff that happens that we can you know keep in there or whatever yeah and um we never use those scripts oh really (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) okay i think i i think i printed them out and we kind of and and i would refer back to them um but i think that as much as anything without realizing it at the time was probably like i knew i was going to edit it and it was just like have we got all the things that i'm going to need tomorrow because coming back and refilming stuff is a pain yeah you're on such a tight time frame yeah so yeah but but yeah yes and no like you know it was it was often often it was alan who kind of would sort of we'd hash it out together Mm. but he'd sort of keep the tabs on the story beats a little bit and and because toby and i were more likely to be the actors and then we'd you know whoever wasn't in the scene held the camera basically um but yeah alan was kind of our main story guy so then is like the first thing you wrote then the first like kind of proper thing you wrote was it your play the i can't remember what you called uh, it, i mean i definitely the, written other terrible first drafts of things right know, scripts right, and right. stuff um oh and the, the no, one about the box the, was it the boxer the play the, the yeah yeah it was, that it was, was called thumper thumper yeah, yeah yeah which unintentionally has a cartoon connection as well yeah, right yeah. not not yeah, that's yeah. not the reference <laughs> my uncle um, thumper had yeah, a problem yeah. with his probate yeah i don't know what stuck for me with with the name thumper i was just like yeah i mean it's literally a guy who thumps people and yeah. you know yeah I get and, it. and i was aware of the bambi connection i was like well that's not what it is so i'm just no, gonna yeah yeah no i, I don't know how that. many people are thinking of the bunny friend from yeah, bambi I don't know. yeah how yeah. do you get so you, you write a play how do yeah. you get how do you get that on oh well okay well that's the thing um it wasn't the first piece of theater i'd written okay um but the from memory the only other one that i'd like written i co-wrote uh with my friend shoshana who's now writing all sorts of stuff she's doing very well um i think she won an emmy for inside i think she was involved with inside oh right um kind of weird anyway she's great um but we wrote a show for we were friends from acting class as well and we wrote a show for the comedy festival and so when things like a festival are on it was like you just book in with whatever theater and you register with that festival and it's like okay there's a structure there and you you know it kind of solves the marketing issue a little bit because they help sell the show because it's part of their schedule of, of shows for the you know, but, but also though, you to apply to a theater and i'm assuming they get like a bunch of applications yeah. and then they they just pick the one they like the most i guess so yeah yeah well and and that's the thing most of the theater that i've done has been like at basement and it's been co-op type stuff i've i've never done a silo or a, an orphan theater show right. um i have i have wanted to and and hoped that you know the opportunity to audition would come up but it just kind of never did I, right i don't i don't think i was doing what worked for me okay um, all right but um because because that was the thing i mean i mean okay this is a former agent of mine who i'm no longer with but did hit up silo one time about auditions and stuff and the comment that i was told came back was that they were already aware of who i was and, okay. and so they didn't <laughs> they <don't> like them. <laughs> well no so that they so they didn't need to audition me because they were already aware of who right, i was yeah and I was just like, oh, well, that's good. Wait, well, yeah. they're not casting me anymore. Yeah, so, uh, that, that's, yeah, like, yeah. that's like, a, oh, good. Hang on. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. It was one of those moments. I was like, ah, all right, well, I'll stop hoping for that to happen then. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, 
sometimes hope dying can be a, can be a healthy <laughs> thing. Um, so but no, but but lots of stuff at basement and and other like independent and that's it. Stuff. And that's how that works. You kind of get in yeah, with a crowd. Largely, they get to know what you can do. Yeah, and then you kind of the move, more you do, the more you get way. to know people, the more you exactly, get tagged yeah. in on things. Yeah. And, yeah. and so there was a period there where I was doing a lot of theater, and I and I could remain available to do a lot of theater, yeah. even short run stuff. And it was all short run stuff, you know, because um, we're all doing it on a shoestring. Um, because I was making good ad money around about that mm-hmm. time, um, and so so yeah, so. We, we were taking such a long path to get back to Muck Putty. Well, I, know, I, I was going to say, so now you get to Muck Putty. Yeah, but well, okay, because, so because here's what we're here's here's what we're trying to angle in here yeah. is that you also write for Muck Putty. I do. Right? I do. You came so, here as a yes. story ma- storyboard um, yeah, an animatic, animatic editor, editor, editor yeah. but yeah. then you end up like you've written on. Did what, you write what, on the band? I was going to say, what was your first writing job for a Muck Putty project? Uh, was was Quimbo. It was Quimbo. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, the, how I ended up at Mud Putty is, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I'd gone over to Aussie um, and decided, cool, see you in New Zealand. I'm done. You know, um, gone over to Aussie, uh, ostensibly with a view to not focusing on acting, just making some money to get to New York. Because like, like I said, you know, right. the, the ads that were going to happen again didn't happen. So I didn't have any money. Um, and But I still felt, the need to get out of New Zealand, you know, and I was just like, and, and learned the hard way that running away from something is very different to running towards something. Okay. I was okay. running okay. away from frustration in New Zealand, not running towards great opportunities in Australia. Okay. So I kind of ended up moving furniture, and I did. I, I landed an ad when I first went over, but it, but and and I did, uh, I did workshops and stuff. You know, did classes and things. I did a 24-hour theater thing. It's kind of like 48 hours, but for theater, and you only have a 24-hour thing. That was that was fun, but kind of inconsequential and didn't lead to like ongoing relationships mm-hmm. with anybody. Um, and um, but probably a good thing to do if you're already part of that community and know people, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so yeah, I was doing bits and pieces of stuff, but unable to really commit to anything. At one point, I got cast in a in a play that I couldn't do because. I was doing uh, photo booth operating for a promo company oh. and being flown around Australia to different cities. And I was like, oh, well, I, I can't remain available for rehearsals because I'm going to be flying to Adelaide or whatever. You know? Yeah. So so I ended up just kind of frustrated and spinning my wheels over there and uh, got to a certain point where I had a half-written play, which was Thumper. Um, I was coming back to New Zealand at least for the summer and, and I had... I talked to the basement and managed to book in dates for February or whatever it was. So I was like, okay, well, I'm back in New Zealand. I'm doing a play in February. I feel like I've played my cards in Australia. Things aren't happening. So I'm just going to, I'm going to go back. Oh, and I'd started working on a script for a feature film with um, Candlelit Pictures at the time, which didn't end up happening either. It, um, it sort of hit the rocks at some point. Right. Um, but um, so I was doing, I was writing and I was jobbing and I was getting frustrated over there as well. Um, and so I came back and uh, was, was just, I, that was around about the time that I ended up getting into casting work. So guys that I already knew because I auditioned for them, you know, from time to time, 
um, let them know I was back in the country if they needed a hand, you know, and they did. And I ended up working regularly in casting as well. Yeah. So I was doing writing, did this play that I had written, finished writing that and put that on in February. Um, and that was, uh, that was what? That was 2014. Yeah. And around about that time when I was back and I was kind of doing a bit of this, a bit of that, and trying to be a writer as well as back into the acting stuff a little bit if possible, um, Tim hit me up out of the blue, you know, the quiet one from Muck Putty, yeah. who, who I didn't know particularly well at that point. Like I knew him from 48 Hours and stuff, but whenever I'd drop in and say hey to the guys, I'd chat to Ryan, I'd chat to Alex, I'd say hey to Tim, yeah. but he kind of, you know. He's like a cat. He's he like a cat. In the corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, uh, and he hit me up on Facebook, I guess, from memory, and um, was like, hey, you're a writer, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I was doing quite a bit of writing at the time. And he was like, yeah, I, I, I want to make some horror movies. And I've never written anything before. I don't really know what I'm doing. Do you want to hang out and help me wow. hash out this horror movie idea? Um, I was like, yeah, great. So we just started hanging out, having dinner, figuring out grotesque ways to murder people. And As you do. Yeah, yeah. And then it was at dinner one night, hanging out, writing horror stuff, and with him sketching cool, you know, rough concepts yeah. of, of flesh what villains babies would look usually. like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> flesh babies and scraggly beards with yeah. bird skeletons hanging right. off them and yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's right. Um, and he was like, oh, you know, we got a show, right? I was like, oh, dude, that's awesome. He's like, yeah, do you want a job? And I'm like, sure. Yeah. Doing what? <laughs> he was like, you can edit, right? And I was like, uh-huh, <laughs> sure. And what? He's like, premiere? I was like, I've heard of that. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. so, uh, yeah, but, but I mean, you know, I'd done enough editing. I was like, yeah, you knew if it's doing. simple. It was, a, it was sure. a matter of just learning a bit of software, right? Yeah, you yeah. already knew how to edit. Yeah, I mean, I, I think at that point, most of the editing I'd done was in uh, Final Cut. You know? Right. And, um, but, but I wasn't doing a lot of editing or whatever, but I knew my way around that interface. Mm. Um, and premiere... Pro is very much a variation on a theme in that sense, sure. you know. So I was like, cool, yeah, I can get up to speed over the summer, and you know, and that's when I came on board to do the animatics yeah. for Bandits. It, it is often the way that... 2015. 2015. January yeah. 2015. It is the way that the mucks tend to hire people. Is yeah. You got you got to know Tim, yep. liked hanging out with you, liked, uh, yeah. you're into the same stuff creatively, so You can do stuff, eh? I was like, sure. That's what Whatever I can't do, I'll do. figure out. Yeah. And we actually had a great, we had a great time in those early days of of when we were making bandits. It was such a clubhouse vibe. eh? We had a really, really fun crew. Yeah. A small crew in a small space. And we're like, we're doing something really fun. That's right. This is a great gig. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember in the evenings we'd shoot stuff as well? Yeah. Like like the horror ideas. All of that's still buried deep on a hard drive. Yeah. Like, oh, and in terms of writing, you know, um, one thing that I worked on a couple of years was uh, with Roseanne Lang, you know, uh, oh, when yes. she was doing Flat 3. So I know Rosie, again, from acting class, and a bunch of people I know from from doing that, that acting class. Um, and she was somebody who I ended up, like, uh, sort of worked on the scripts for one of the seasons with her and stuff, and I think I wrote one or two episodes as well. Well, first drafts to hand off to her anyway. Um, and, um, and acted in it as well, and and then, you know, cut to a few years later and she's making this awesome feature film creature feature and they want an animated sequence and so by that stage i'm living in wellington right you know during covid um you're like i've got i think it was just before that wasn't it we finished it once covid uh during covid but um 
but yeah, Shadow of the Cloud. Yeah, Shadow they, needed, they, yeah. they needed the animated sequence, and she hit me up one day and was just like, hey, I've got a thing I want to talk to you about. And um and yeah, it, it came very much during their post production. Right, right. Was, and know. that was just uh, 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 so so fortuitous that that they came to you because yeah, like Josh, mm. you animated that scene. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, I would right. say if there was any guy who was like just like like made to yeah. animate that scene, like cause yeah. it, it's it's got uh, it, it it so um, influenced by sort of. Old 1950s, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sort of wartime, wartime informational right. okay. the, yeah. the private snafu thing. Private snafu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a very funny moment, which is very much your wheelhouse, right? Very much that sort of old Looney Tunes stuff. You know, that era of theatrical cartoons. Because they they said the mucks said to me and Bren, they thought we'd be the people to do that. They said, well, you might have heard of this this series, Private Snafu. Maybe look it up. And <laughs> oh yeah, I'm exaggerating, but I basically pulled out the DVD set and said, I've got them all right here. <laughs> so not surprising. I remember having that first conversation with Roseanne just up the road and she kind of ran it by me and I was like, okay, cool. I'll go and chat to the guys and we'll see if we can, you know, like figure out how much we can do it for and get back. Well, she, I think they had a budget. They were like, this is as much as we've got. And we're like, can we do it for that kind of a thing? So I came back, ran it by the guys. We figured it out. We're like, yeah, okay, we can do it. It's going to, this is how to do it on their budget. Okay, fine. Um, and then as soon it was like, as it was like, oh, and this is the reference, you know, we kind of everybody just went oh yeah that's a josh that's definitely josh. a josh yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep, we did, need our historian on this one you know i, I did yeah. get I, I did get very into the weeds of making sure that it looked right i made yep. sure that we weren't using any like ellipses tools or anything to make it too clean it had to look yeah. like it was drawn by hand the mouth shapes i wanted to make sure were all sort of accurate to the yeah. period it was a lot of fun and we filmed some live action reference for that for some yeah, reason right. me and Bryn got the idea in our head that maybe they should be like a live action hand that reaches in and like prods and pokes the character, dusts them off. So we filmed my hand in a yeah. jumper and then just rotoscoped a big cuff on it to kind of look like a military dude. God, I remember that, fun. the early version of that and going, Ooh, that didn't look quite right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But it ends up looking, look, ended up looking great. And, and, and that was the thing though, right? Like that's one of the interesting things about the changes in animation. And it's something that I, I definitely wasn't aware of when I started at Mud Putty because animation isn't my background, you know, is trying to re- recreate something like that that has that quality of something from how many years ago? 80 years ago or something? Gotta be. Um, using techniques that, like, you guys could have done that traditionally given the time and the resources. And that yeah, would have been an a, amazing, fun way to do it. In a perfect world, but... But in completely a world with, impractical. We didn't have the time. We didn't have the money. No, exactly. To do the that. longer it was going to take to make, the more it was going to cost. Yeah. And this was already the last thing that was going to be added to the movie. Yeah. So there was time pressure as well, mm-hmm. you know, because they were already in post production. So it was like, okay, we have to do it the way we animate everything else in Flash with rigs and make it, you know, sure, there was custom stuff in there as well, though, mm-hmm. right? But, um, or hand drawn, I should say, you know, as well. But yeah, being able to recreate that with the current tools is a really cool challenge it was yeah. a lot of fun yeah. i went and saw that for my for my birthday that year it happened to be lined up with when uh shadow was having its theatrical run so it was really yeah. fun to take a bunch of people to the theater and be like that little two minute thing at the beginning yeah, yeah. i did that how yeah. does that feel like, to be like you know that's got to be definitely a tick on the bucket list well, de- i'm definitely. sitting in a theater so, looking at a big screen similar looking. to what simon was saying about like it takes you a while to like accept like oh i'm an animator i'm all these things that yeah. i have done it's like well Technically, I have animated for a feature film. Technically, I have provided a voice for a yeah, feature film. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's great. 
It's great. Well, that, and that's what I was getting to with that whole calling yourself the thing. You know, mm. is I remember that point in acting class where it happened at different times for different people as well. I, I was like, you know what? I feel like I can, I can say I'm an actor without wincing, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I remember having a conversation with a, with a classmate who was like, oh, I can't, you know? And yeah. they got there, you know? But it's just that you kind of take ownership of this thing you're aspiring to at a certain point and feel yeah. like you you carry those tools and yep. you know how to use them. Even just calling yourself that, it is like a role that you have to accept, yeah, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, that, that, I mean, you know, I listen to a lot of screenwriting podcasts as well. And, you know, a lot of the time the advice is, oh, you want to be you, or you, a filmmaker or whatever. You know, it's like you want to be a filmmaker, make a business card with your name and filmmaker. And there you go, you're right. a filmmaker. Yeah, it's yeah. like, right, yeah, sure. <laughs> it helps if you also make a film, you know, like, yeah. I think I've been referring to myself as a filmmaker on and off for years now. Times where I've actually made a film and it's something that I feel like I own as the maker of that film, pretty few and far between. Right. <laughs> but you know, but but if every filmmaker only ever got to call themselves a filmmaker when they had one in the can and on screen in the cinema, there'd be a lot fewer. There'd yeah. be a lot and fewer, it, and it's just yeah. a simple a way lot of work to that goes into getting over that line. You call, know? Calling so, yourself a filmmaker is a good way to sell yourself quickly on the general tools that yeah, you have yeah. and the experience that you have. It's also really and and what they're saying obviously is it's the right way to get yourself in the in the right mind frame to do your best work. You're mm-hmm. like, no, I am this thing. I am valid. The things I bring to the table creatively are worthwhile. And when I've done my bit, I can put it in front of people and happily take whatever they throw back at me because we're gonna make this thing better mm-hmm. when i've mm-hmm. done my bit mm-hmm. you know and hand it off it's like well yeah it's it's and and that's that's another really fun part of transitioning from from live action into into animation is they work quite differently you know but that collaborative element is absolutely there you know, similar, and, yeah. Yeah, 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 and and in ways that are very similar to live action. It's right. not like they're completely separate creative processes. It's just that in animation, some things kind of work backwards yeah. to how somebody in live action would think. Because we edit first, yeah, animation, edit, edit first, last, in yeah, live and action. that's where like things like funding bodies who are used to live action, trying to set like the drawdown, deliver, you know, uh, delivery points and stuff, and you kind of like, well, yeah, but you want this amount of money to come down and just get in the weeds about producing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like half of the offlines. Okay. Is that the animatic though? Or is that once we've animated and we, and we get, you know, the first pass of comp, you know, like, yeah. which in live action, that's kind of the point. You've filmed the material, you've quickly thrown together yeah. an edit. Sure. That's an offline. And then you tidy it up from there. And there's a lot of tidying up. Sure. But, that point comes much earlier in live action than it does in animation. You know, the, yeah. the actual animation part of the process happens further down the production timeline than mm. a lot of people realize. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't quite work as an analogy because I guess the animation is the part where the characters are coming alive, that the acting, the performance is being finalized, but that's such a big lot of the work. Yeah. Whereas in live action, you'd film everything, which is a lot of work, but yeah. that's when you've got a semi-finished product. Well, it kind of comes back to the, almost to, to a degree the, the the interesting thing about animators being actors, right? Is that, sure, we have actors in the booth doing the voices and then the Which you've done yourself too. Which I've also done, yeah, from time to time. Um, usually because we needed some temp to work to and then decided, 
Yeah, can stay. Actually, Should sorry be, yeah. to derail your uh, point no, no, you're no, making, no, sure. but I, it just reminded me, the first voice acting that I did for Muck Putty was opposite you, uh, a character oh. that you were doing. We were in Quimbo, and we were a pair of ducks. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah. I was a, a duck, and they asked for generally American, and it turned into Nathan Lane. Oh, that's right. And so they named the ducks Nathan and Ernie after yeah, yeah, the yeah. actors that played Timon and Pumbaa. I don't think that was my first. It wasn't your first job, Quimbo. but I just remember yeah. because that it was, was my first, first one, one, and I took note of it wow. mentally. Yeah. Yeah, I were, think were you one of the glowworms. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. then we worked as well. Yeah, huh? yeah. I yeah. We're a glowworm. Yeah, right. yeah. There they, you go. They, they <laughs> needed two glowworm guards yeah. for, for <laughs> that episode of Bandits, oh, and they're like right. the Simons. The Simons played yeah. the glowworms. That's the, right. The yeah. twins. You know, one has an <laughs> yeah. Irish accent. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was fun, and it's the only time I think that the two actors have been together in the booth. Really? Yeah. Right. We just jumped. They were like, "Yeah, we'll just film you on the same time," and it was like. It was slightly weird. It probably does make more sense to do them individually, but it was fun. Yeah, I think I, I kind of like the idea of doing it together because then the two performances get to feed off each yeah, other. Yeah, but, but technically, it's harder. To well, I was going to say like, they've got the they've got and... one mic in there. Were you standing just around the same mic? Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm picturing like you know one of you is being picked up on the left channel of the mic, one of you is picked up on oh, the right. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know, dude. But we probably got yeah. away with a, a yeah, lot of we things. Were playing playing fast and loose in muck putty back in those days. Mm. Um, I wanted to ask what your relationship with animation was, uh, if any, before you started working at Muck Putty. Did you watch a lot of animation? Was it something you thought of much uh, about as an yeah, art form? That's, that's a really good question. Or was it just a thing that was on Saturday morning sometimes? You'd see a bit here uh, and there. Yeah, I mean, obviously grew up watching, watching animation. Um, there are definitely gaps in my animation watching history, you know, um, I keep I keep hearing conversations about certain shows, and I'm like, oh wow, that was that was in my dark years, you know, where I you know I wasn't watching animation as a kid, and then there are definitely things that I've watched. With, like my my oldest niece is is 15, just turned 15, Ava, um, and and so there's definitely stuff that I've watched with the nieces and nephews over the last sort of 15 years, but there is a gap in the middle there too, where the big stuff, sure, I've gone and seen, you know, like because it's a huge Pixar movie and you go and see those. Yes. Right. You know, like so I'd seen I'd seen the big stuff, but there are definitely shows like the Kevin Conroy uh Batman series. Oh, right. Oh, right. I've definitely seen bits and pieces of, mm-hmm. you know, but You haven't I, found you haven't found time to sit down and watch no, this. I haven't watched through it all. Animated and show from thirty years but, ago. Yeah, I know, I know. What but are you it, been doing a, with your time? It's a big gap for me and I like and I know how pivotal that show is. Because people around me on a daily basis talk about and refer to that show because yeah. it it's a seminal piece of animation it, history it's really and i haven't big one. actually spent the time to okay. watch it you know? which you've got to forgive yourself for because know, you yeah. are a grown-up wearing a lot of hats and yeah. now you're a parent so yeah, even yeah. less time you can't to watch, watch well, everything uh, anyway like yeah you work okay. on the you start right on work, working on bandits doing animatics i think right. is that yeah okay. so while we were doing the second season of Bandits, yeah. um, uh, Quimbo's Quest materialized, yeah. um, was brought to us by Screen Time, um, and the guys grabbed it with both hands and, and developed it and kind of turned it into a muck putty show, you know, um, which was very cool. And Screen Time were totally on board with that. They had this concept, but they were quite happily happy for the guys who make cartoons to figure out how it best worked as a cartoon, which was cool. There was a lot of creative freedom given to us, which was which was well, given to the marks yeah. which is cool um and so yeah that that came together and we were like oh wow okay and it's a crazy deadline we had you know 
we'd been making 10 episode seasons and uh, Quimbo was 52 11 minutes, so the yep. equivalent of 26, so more than mm-hmm. double what we'd been doing over the course of a year. Um, and um, we and so we needed a lot more crew to bring it in on that time frame, which is when we moved into this studio um, and crewed up to, you know, what, 50 instead of about 15, uh, so like tripled in size. And um, at that point, I believe it was Ben Passman who said, we're going to need a production manager. He's like, those guys, those guys can't handle all of the, the production management stuff as well as the creative lead stuff. Um, and I was like, oh, yeah, okay. And in talking to like Tim and, and the guys about it, they, they started um, sort of throwing about names and figuring out who would do that. And in the meantime, I'd met Mel and we were, you know, and, and it was at home where she kind of just went, do you want to do that? And I was like, kind of. And she was like, right. have you told them you want to do that? And I was like, not really. And she's like, are you waiting for them to ask you to do that? And I was like, maybe. And she's like, just talk to them. And then so yeah. I, I had lunch with Tim one day and, and said, hey, look, that production manager job, I, you know, because by that stage, because I was part-time animatic editing, that had kind of, and, and I was kind of hanging around anyway. You know, I'd I'd come instead of spending two weeks to do an animatic like full time, I'd spread it out over a month, and I was juggling other jobs and stuff. So I was I was here all the time anyway, and and we were hanging out after work, yeah, and doing stuff for fun, and you know, and so um, that kind of turned into a little bit of a catch-all. Whatever needs doing, we just need an extra pair of hands. I would do you know yeah. things like music cue sheets or whatever you know or, or even helping out with voice records or whatever you know just stuff would happen where we needed somebody to jump yeah. in so kind of like, like and the I was last around. man back you were the guy he yeah the yeah guy and, 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 and yeah. so my job description kind of became Broad. animatics <laughs> plus whatever needs doing and yeah that's know? the thing is like I know that lots of people get confused about what exactly does a producer do yeah. but I think basically what it comes down to is yeah it's hard to get something made and so the producer is the person who helps make sure that it gets made. Whatever yeah. needs to happen to make sure that the production gets done. For a long time, after I stepped into that production manager role, like Quimbo was a, was a like we said at the very beginning, real pressure cooker for us all. And like getting that over the line was a massive, massive effort. Mm. I remember being physically absolutely wiped out. We, we were having our Christmas, like, yay, we've finished. But, it, but I, I got a message from, uh, yeah, it was Envy, um, saying that the final episode had been delivered to the network. Wow. Um, while we were having our last day, you know, yeah. um, shared lunch and stuff. And I just, I could feel my entire body start to shut down. <laughs> and Mel was here and she was just like, are you okay? And I was like, I think I'm okay. And she's like, do you need a nap? I was like, yes. And she's like, shall we go home? I was like, yes. It's, it's, it's like when you have like, uh, it's like when you're underslept, but you know you just have to power through yeah, and yeah. get through something. When that's done and you actually like pay attention to how tired your body is, and oh, suddenly yeah. it's like, yeah. it's like a, it's like, an old car has just made it back from a long road trip. It's held it together. Then as soon as you stop the car, it just falls apart. I yeah. was that old yeah, car. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and Goodbye, like, pork pie. I basically slept for a week. I kept like, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't know her mum that well at that point. You know, she wasn't grandma yet. Um, and I'd only met her that year. Um, no, the year before, but anyway. Um, but I, I spent like 
afternoons that week leading up to Christmas sleeping on her couch in the yeah. afternoon. She's like, okay, fine. Yeah, yeah. But, Who's um, this bum on my couch? <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Yeah. Um, but, but that was the thing. I officially signed on as production manager for Quimbo and I was doing the production managing for Quimbo. But in the wake of Quimbo, my role kind of evolved into, again, whatever needs doing. Okay. You know? and well, you do a lot more writing than you do Jungle Bird. Yeah, well, I started doing writing on Quimbo and started doing a few voices on Quimbo right. and ended up, um, you know, handling uh, delivery to audio post and stuff like that. So okay. it was kind of like, right. the, like the mucks wear multiple hats and I ended up also wearing multiple hats yep. and just kind of being that extra pair of hands again to get things across the line. The funny thing is that me being kind of, you know, okay, I'm I'm a producer now, not a production manager, was, you know, I was we were just carrying on doing the smaller shows that happened after Quimbo. Yeah. And um, you know, doing what we're doing and it was as far as I was concerned, I was the production manager. Okay, fine. And I think it was um, Chris Payne at the Film Commission sent through um, information about this producer's thing that was happening for animators, uh, animation producers thing that was happening in Ireland. And I was like, took it, walked down the hall to Tim and went, hey, Chris Payne's just sent through this thing and blah, blah, blah. I'll put in an application in. He's like, oh, yeah, cool, cool. That's a good idea. I was like, I guess I should probably call myself a producer right, if it's yeah. for producers. He yeah, was like, yeah. yeah. Well, it's yeah. kind of the job you're doing anyway. I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. That was it. That huh. was that was my title change. Yeah, yeah. And, and promotion. Um, and so then, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so then, what would you say? Carl then becomes production manager. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Because like, I know producer. That's that's a completely different thing. That's where you start working out finances. Well, that's yeah. That's like been, how much and, does and, it? What does it take to actually make a show? Yeah, I mean, I'd already kind of been like the the smaller local shows that we that we have been doing you know bandits and jandaborn and, and drawing show and stuff um the budgeting and the and the the business end of things is pretty straightforward you know like you've got your broadcaster on board great you go to the funding body and hopefully you get the funding and if you do great and then you in, in the process of doing that you've done a budget you've done a schedule they sign off on that okay cool um there was never really a view to like we definitely got overseas distributors on board for those shows mm. after the fact and sometimes you pick up a little bit of a sale in this territory or that territory but you kind of it's dribs and drabs over right, right. a couple of years or whatever right. you know you can um, count it all on your fingers yeah yeah like yeah nobody's right. nobody's making a fortune off the back of that local show that's to new zealand to sell internationally as far as everybody keeps telling you anyway yeah um which we found out to be not true because Barefoot Bandits is now on uh, YouTube and doing very well. They're doing very well, Farnham. yeah. So yeah. there you go. Well, I mean, you know, but also, you know, our flag means death and exactly, the concords. Right. And we're yeah. like, yes, yeah. the yeah. Kiwi accent is a real stumbling block. International audiences don't love it unless like, they do. Like, yeah, okay, yeah. fine. This is just thing that people <laughs> say, isn't it? It's not actually true. Yeah, you know? yeah, I think that's the thing. I think there are definitely boxes you need to check for those people to feel like they have a marketable commodity right i think one of the things is that we we, we get approvals from tvnz um over scripts and things like that but it's them going yeah cool we and, and this is something i kind of realized working uh setting up a project like bad jelly which we're this and this is where we're getting to right yeah, this is yeah. when you become producer proper yeah for bad jelly because that's what we need because yeah. we are now it's not so much a local show yeah this one we're taking out into the world but depending on what country you're in 
you need your scripts to go through script clearance. And that's a legal team right. making sure there's nothing in the script that makes you legally liable for, okay. for whatever. You know, if it's right. mentioning a brand name that you shouldn't or a real person that you or whatever, you know. Right. Um, I, I don't know what all of the loopholes are, but or the, all of the checklist are, but but you need legal clearance on your script before you can go into production. Right. Um, or, or at least so that you that your distributor can take it to market with that check next to it going, it's legally been cleared. Right. Um, and we've never had that with the shows that we made locally and then sent over. So I do wonder if there are there are things like that that have made it harder as well, but it kind of boils down to, oh, well, it's very New Zealand and it doesn't necessarily translate. And you're like, yeah, but there's probably also a few other little little sure, technical sure. issues okay, okay. that make life harder for you at that end that isn't worth explaining to us, you know, maybe. Yeah. But yeah, so so anyway, yeah, so getting into the, the, the financial side of things with, with setting up a project, Bad Jelly has been the learning curve. Yeah. Um, it's the first time the mucks have been sort of um, delineated away for, they, they're the creative team. And we have a we have a finance team. Yeah. So I'm on that finance team. Um, so I'm I'm like the internal uh, muck putty person who's on that finance okay. team, and we've got a couple of producers who we work with. Yeah. Um, and and you know, uh, which was part of the part of the requirements for the New Zealand funding that we got from the premium fund was having a producer with. Um, multi-party international financing right okay and i got part way through uploading the materials for submission and went oh that's not me <laughs> you know? and so and so we um yeah so we we now have okay oh which is great because it means it means that like you have backup like yeah yeah absolutely we're not, well, not just not backup to, there's there's yeah there kind of a team lead who i can sit in next to in meetings right and learn from yes. there are degrees of complication and we're ticking kind of all of them. You know, it's like, it's one thing to have an international partner and do a co-production. Um, it's another to have more than one, you know, and, and a three-party co-production is considerably more complicated than a two-party co-production because you're, right, yeah. you're trying to balance the needs of three different um, government bodies' requirements um, in, in, for, for this one project that is, you know, well, this one's a New Zealand-based one, you know, but if yeah. we were doing a co-pro that was sort of based in Canada, you know, yeah. Anyway, it's, it's it, but then you get into things like tax credits as well. Okay. So are they ticking the right boxes to qualify for that fund and those tax credits? And, you know, so the finance plan becomes very complicated. Like, right, yeah, yeah. First yeah, of all, yeah. I learned no, what a finance plan is. Second right. of all, I learned <laughs> yeah. what a finance plan that has three different currencies looks like. Okay, and it's pretty yeah. complicated. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, bet, I bet things can go wrong when you're dealing with exchange rates and stuff like that. Yeah, well, that's, that's a fluid sort of thing. It is well, a fluid sort it? of a thing. And I think that's the sort of thing that you just need to make sure that when you're setting up the finances for a project, you're getting different amounts from different places, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, things like tax credits come in at the end of production because it's we've spent this much so you get your tax back right so if you're using that tax back to to factor into the overall finances um 
then you need to borrow that amount until yeah, the yeah, end yeah, of production. Yeah, yeah. So there are yeah. costs involved yeah, sure, and all of that sure. sort of thing. It's, it's like, a, like you can use it as kind of a collateral. You say, we will yeah, get that yeah, money yeah. at the so end. So we've, we've got but sign we off now. that given we stick to this amount of spend right. that qualifies, okay. we'll get that tax back. The bank goes, okay, fine. Well, here's the loan in the meantime. Yeah. Um, but you don't want to find out at the end of the day, oh, you said New Zealand dollars. Yeah, we thought yeah. you said US dollars. Yeah, there yeah, well, yeah. yeah, were twice as much. But also just the exchange rate can... If, if, if things are really tight and putting those last pieces together, the exchange rate can shift things a few thousand yeah, sure, dollars the sure. wrong way, you know, right. um, on a big enough budget. Um, and so, um, so you are, but there are ways to deal with it. Yeah. When it works, how does it feel? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, when it works, it feels amazing. Right. Well, but also, if you're in a position where you're getting X amount from a broadcaster, say, in, in that, say, say it's a two party thing and it's us and, for argument's sake, let's just say Australia, um, like Quimbo was, you know, um, that was for 10 in Australia originally, and now it's on Netflix. Um, but if the broadcaster in Australia is giving you X amount per episode, you're like, great, that's money we put in. Then um, the broadcaster in New Zealand's giving you whatever per episode, you go, great, okay, we're putting that in. Then you go to the funding body and you go, well, we're getting this, we've got, a, we've got free-to-air broadcast with TVNZ, they're putting a little bit of money in. And they go, okay, cool. Here's some money from New Zealand on air as well. Um, and then if it's enough to qualify, you can then go in Australia, our spend is this. Do we also get tax credits? And they go, yeah, of course you do. Okay, Here's your so tax credits. So when okay. you rack all of those up, right. ideally you come out higher than your budget is, you know? Yeah. And it's like, well, well, good. I mean, that's that's kind of gravy either you don't need to use it all or yeah, it's all available to you and the advances that would come from somewhere it never all gets used yeah i don't it, it, i think there are unusual circumstances where for for reasons of percentages having having to remain at the right level you might not but even then i think there's a way to use all of what's coming in to, yeah. to balance things sure. out sure but yeah and it's not buying Mercedes or Mercedes yeah. for buses. <laughs> no. or well, like I'm sure <laughs> at times that has been the case. Yeah. Right. Not I remember though, listening but... to a podcast with Edward Burns talking about, um, you know, because he makes these super low budget films, right, for, for 50 grand or whatever and, and on Canon 5Ds and stuff and, and then puts the money into the finishing and distribution and stuff of them. They're cool little independent movies, talking head stuff, you know, mm. people hanging out in New York kind of stuff. And... Um, but he was on this massive budget movie called A Sound of Thunder, I think it was. Do you remember that? Back in the day, it's probably twenty years old. Now. I've 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 heard of it. Hang on. I think it's I think that's what it's called. But um but but the whoever was interviewing him mentioned the budget, which was however many tens of millions or hundreds of millions or whatever, and he was like wait what <laughs> and they were like yeah the budget was like he's like no it, what he was like man we turned up to set on the first day and it was like Everything was a piece of crap. You know, yeah, he's right. like somewhere there's a there's yeah, a like a yacht that yeah, some producer yeah, yeah. bought with the money that should have gone into that movie. Yeah, shocking. So, that's yeah. shocking. Yeah. And all right, Irish Simon, yes. I'm cutting you off. Okay. Oh. No, no more questions about taxes. That's, that's okay. all I had. That's Sorry, all I had. yes, we got yeah. very into the weeds on how money works with cartoons, but that is the learning curve that I've had in the last sort of yearish. Um, yeah. It's yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot to sort of absorb. 
and hopefully it'd be useful to us moving forward as we go from Absolutely. the jelly to whatever well, comes like, 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 like we were saying, the unusual thing is that you were the creative who ended up in the producer role. Yeah, yeah. That that doesn't normally happen. That's, yeah. That, yeah. That's a great place for you to be in, really. Yeah. I'm forward. slowly getting my head around being a numbers guy. It's great right. to have... Yeah. It's still a bit of a wrestle sometimes. It's but, great to have someone who understands and appreciates and likes the creative side of things oh yeah be someone yeah. who has something to do with the numbers oh, you that's know one who thing isn't just like. looking at it at the bottom line well there's the thing though i've been working in animation for eight years now right that's like, right since yeah. the beginning of bandits yeah. and and i'm not an animator i can't do what you do um i i've i've mucked around on an ipad i've i've mm-hmm. put a simple little thing together in procreate and you told me recently that you're um getting some drawing lessons from tim just uh, yeah, to yeah, do a, yeah. get a bit well, more yes, drawing under your belt eight years i've had about three lessons yeah, so you know okay. this is a very you know sporadic thing but i mean you're a, you're then. you're a parent now and a producer so three lessons is actually pretty impressive you found the time oh yeah yeah true true but um but it is something that i would love to do at some point given the time is mm. like the crew's going to be upskilling and, and transitioning to Tomb Boom and stuff, right? So there is going to be a lot of training happening. Yeah. And part of me's like, can I just slide in the side there and yeah. learn how Tomb Boom well, works? As you, you, as know, you like, learned with producing, um, it's often just a case of putting your hand up and registering interest. Yeah, it's the only yeah. way they're going to know. Yeah, and like I don't, I don't aspire to be an animator. Mm-hmm. I think you all are much better at that than I would ever be. But um, but I'd love to I'd love to get my head more around the logic of how. Yeah, I was going to say it'll it'll still help you from. Yeah. I imagine it's going to help you from your point of view to have a hands-on knowledge of yeah. what's actually being done. Yeah. You know. I mean, I understand the principles. Yeah. You know, like like those those fundamentals that you'll go to animation college to learn. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've absorbed some of that yeah. from from just working on animated projects, but the working knowledge of this is how you do this in this piece of software. Um, is something that but what you do understand though is that you know if you ask for a change there can be like that's going to take longer than you think for a start yeah yeah well we've had those conversations effect. right because you handle all of the uh the songs and so and so it's like hey can we and you're like no yeah, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah. okay well i really like where <laughs> yeah. we've got the iou songs <laughs> now and that they like they don't ever really get affected by what's on this start or what's on the end they're kind of self-contained yeah. now it the only of, thing i think there is now is that if there's a is if uh Pippi does a costume change or something yeah yeah but, yeah. but and the in the in the background elements and stuff change but the general like we 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 took slightly too long to come up with a template that's for something right, that is right. a recurring that, thing that we should have yeah. yeah we should have spotted the need for that like back in season one yeah i think yeah. it was season four something like that <laughs> yeah we yeah. decided to like really streamline it yeah um i wanted to circle back to uh the thing you said you were watching uh, oh yeah earlier uh yeah well talking of animation and right. being a parent bluey is the thing like okay uh, yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, i've my watched gosh. an episode of bluey you have yeah I have which one did you watch an episode of bluey so you've only it watched was, one episode i i i watched one with um a, a friend bought their young kid over they said what do you want to watch they said bluey so yeah. we put on one and it was the one really good one apparently out of all that we could have chosen it's the one where 
the dad uh, carries around one of the kids as if he's pregnant. Oh, because I think he makes. I've I, seen that episode. I think he makes some comment about like pregnancy being easy, so the mum's like, hmm, "Maybe you should try it." <laughs> so yeah. he's literally carrying one of his kids around in a pouch. He's having trouble bending over. He's having trouble, I don't know, going to the bathroom. Yeah, and it yeah. ends with this scene where he's giving birth and like the the because like the kid's now tangled into this little papoose and like crawling out. And they're like screaming and crying as if it's really young birth. And you just see the neighbor watching over the fence going, what's going on here? <laughs> I need to check out clever. that episode because I, I haven't seen all of the episodes, but only because um, like we, we've collectively circled back to the beginning um, already. But but we'll watch it with Finn and sometimes he will wander off and we will keep watching <laughs> the right episode. It's so good. Mm. Um, but yeah, but like sometimes I'm watching with him, sometimes Mel's watching with him. And so... Um, yeah, but the, 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 the first season is really cute and funny and well-written and everything. But it feels like in season two is when they kind of hit their stride, which is normal. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, there are certain episodes that are definitely for the parents, you know. And right. they're entertaining for the kids, but the messaging is very aimed at the adults. And um, there's one episode in particular, and I think it's the second season, called Flatpack. Okay. That was the first one that really punched me in the gut. And I was like at the end of it it's beautiful it makes it's, you cry yeah, yeah. bluey makes me cry regularly right it's yeah. it's a beautiful show really smartly written well, it's because it's about parenting right and it's you've not, recently become yeah. a parent yourself yeah yeah it's not just about parenting though. Okay. like it, it i mean it is but the i said to mel recently and this is after watching like a bunch of it i was like it kind of took me too long to realize it's a show about parents who play with their kids ah mm-hmm. right you know right, and, and, right. and right yeah. right whereas it, in my mind i guess the more obvious place to make a kid a show about parenting is like instilling values in them yeah. and correcting yeah. behavior no there's so many episodes and, and that does happen and there was one episode recently that i watched where i was like ah that was on the nose but it's the one time in however many episodes yeah where sure. the moral of the story was kind of said out loud by chili the mom and i was like it was a little bit of a corny line sure in dozens of episodes you know i you think know? this like, preschooler show is being just a little too obvious little with its too obvious. yeah totally but the flatback episode was the one that just kind of wrecked me and and it's it's such a simple episode but it contains so much we we went away for a few days at just after new year's with um a couple of other couples friends who both have kids just a little bit younger than finn as well and um and we were like have you seen bluey not really have you seen the flat pack episode obviously not and so we put the flat pack episode on and part of it was like i was like well i've seen a bunch of it so maybe i just enjoy the characters and i've rela- and i connect made that connection i relate to them and stuff and they watched this one episode of the show they'd never seen before and it finished. And we're all kind of shedding a single tear and, and Max turns around and goes, well, they pack a lot into seven minutes. Yeah. <laughs> but it's this episode where Chili and Bandit, mum and dad, um, they get a piece of flat pack furniture and they're building this piece of flat pack furniture on the back porch and the girls, um, you know, Bluey and, and Banjo. Banjo? You'd know the show better than me. Let's yeah. say yes. It is Banjo, yeah. right? Um, yeah. Anyway, they're, they're playing in the backyard going, can we have the cardboard and the packing and stuff to play with? And they're like, of course you can. And they throw stuff down. And it is this amazing, uh, just look at, I, I don't want to ruin it, but evolution, parent-child relationships, um, and 
Yeah, and 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 the life cycle while building a piece of furniture. While oh, mum and dad wow, build wow, a piece of furniture. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of amazing yeah. Yeah. what they squeeze into. A little beyond minutes. the scope of a normal it's preschool inc- show. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't want to oversell it, but it's fucking incredible. Yeah. And, and it absolutely broke me. And it's really taken off. Like, I'll see it on yeah. my social media websites where I'm interacting with my peers oh, and we're dude. like hey check out this clip from louie pretty good it's not yeah. often that something hits that level of popularity and you go okay i'll give it a go and go oh wow right this, i this see is why. It exactly and, and yeah i've actually got like like um because my kids are growing up now like yeah. i did my time watching the preschool stuff yeah in fact yep. i was making preschool stuff when my kids were watching it actually worked out quite well but yeah like i like something has to be really really good quite yeah. special i was lucky actually when my kids were of that age Yo Gabba Gabba was the show. Oh right? yeah, and that's a great show. Like mm-hmm. that's like when you're like it's the Bluey. It's yeah. my Bluey where where it's like I would watch this even if I didn't have kids, right? But when I started hearing people talk about Bluey, I'm like I just don't do the preschool stuff anymore. I can't. Yeah. I can't. But my you know now teenage kids said, "Hey dad, you cry really easy, yeah? Let's see if you can make it through an episode of Bluey." And I'm like, "Oh, I've heard them talk about this in work. Oh, this and will be yeah, cute. Yeah, they do. Oh, yeah, for sure, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Like, but before it's over, like you know, the, the chin started to. Oh warm man, it's yeah. They they they. It's know a good, how to yeah, pluck a, the heartstrings. It's yeah, really good. Yeah, yeah. Let's, and and there's plenty of kind of disposable garbage out there for kids as well. Absolutely. You know? like, like I, I visited uh, friends with kids, and it is a little. It's just odd you don't want to judge it like well technology changes things change and i know that you know when tvs were new that it was all the criticism oh you're just going to park your kids in front of this but it is weird seeing my friends with their kids and um the kid hasn't learned to talk the ipad baby knows how to use yeah yeah stop and play on the ipad and uh coco melon is the thing that the kids are just addicted to and it really is just bright colorful sugary nothing for kids I, like it's just uh, yeah. they're, they're literally just responding to colors and movement yeah and it's just the easiest thing in the world to produce and kids just drink it up yeah it's a little i didn't want scary. to mention it but yeah i, I, I was thinking up. of coco melon when you know we were having this conversation and like and 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 <laughs> yeah it's fins and daycare now three days a week you know and um and I, I picked them up at one point, and the, the music they have going is the Coco Melon kind of thing. They're not watching it on a screen, but they're just listening yeah, to the songs. It's just and, always there. But it's still that just like shrill, mass produced songs for kids that, type stuff. You know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. It. Okay. This, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this reminds me of the, the big mm-hmm. thorn in my side was the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's oh, the 3D Mickey Mouse, right? right? Yeah. The 3D yes. Mickey Mouse. Yeah. 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 It is hard yeah. to, to what? Like the color, it's these, these flat. Like it, every, everything is super saturated. Yeah, like the the grass is neon green. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It's just like, yeah. No, please. I tell you what, though. Shout out to a gr- another great show that was. I think the first one that I started watching with them, and we haven't watched in a while, is Puff and Rock. Puff like, and Rock. Puff and Rock. Oh, right. It's uh, it's That's, made in Ireland. Yeah. It's got um, Chris. What's his name from IT Crowd? Chris O'Dowd. The, yeah. Chris O'Dowd is the. Yeah. Is oh, the Chris Googled it. This is a very cute Slim, show. It? It's yeah. a really lovely low-key wow. gentle like nice storytelling kind of a thing and yeah mm. it's it's a, that's a great show as well oh uh, yeah they do lovely work in um, cartoons, a, a world apart from uh puff and rock i wanted to mention because we were talking about you know the 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 common misconception that uh new zealand shows don't travel this show just landed on disney plus because we get all the hulu stuff directed disney plus called koala man 
Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What's yeah. the first episode of that? It's by Michael yeah. Cusack, who does, um, uh, created uh, YOLO, which our friend uh, Rick Sweden worked That's on. That's right. The new season has come out. The first two episodes are out, and they're hilarious. Okay, the, cool. The dad character on that show is so funny. For some reason, one of the girls has these two parents, and for no reason, they're giant. They're just huge suburban parents sitting in their home. The dad has a dent in his head, because all the designs are really bizarre. And he just has this running bit where every time he tries to offer, like, assistance or help to the daughter, she, like, really politely refuses. Because, oh, no, Dad, I think I've got it. And then he just uh, blows up. He just goes, oh, all right, then, all right, then, I won't help, I won't help. You don't need me. All right, I'm going. Bye-bye, never again. So funny. Um, he's created a new show called Koala Man um, with Princess uh, Princess Bento, which is yes. that Australian-American co-production. I knew we'd talk to whoever it was that was involved. Yep. It was on the... Um what are they called? The the networking things that we were doing with the oh, yeah. guys. Um, um, Masters of Motion. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, it's it's out. Um, I think it's it's about eight or ten episodes or something, 20 minutes. And it's so Australian. Mm. Like, it's set in Australia. Everyone voicing it as Australian. And it's like every episode they've picked something, something unique to Australia to uh, turn into like a superhero thing. My favorite one is uh, they go to like a carnival and the kids are all really excited to buy show bags. Do you guys know about show bags? Oh, yeah. It's yeah. literally just a bag with an Im- some images from a popular show printed on it. Yeah. And then like $2 worth of crap inside. Yeah, like yeah. here's a penny whistle and a it's lolly. A and maybe, coloring book or a whatever. Maybe a yeah. coloring book with the image yeah. printed on it. And then uh, in the episode, um, the characters are searching for the lost show bag the show that was uh the show bag that was supposed to have so much fun stuff in it that it drove <laughs> the user insane oh <laughs> and really really funny show uh jermaine clement uh plays the principal in it okay and, and the other thing that surprised me was like mostly it's episodic but there is like sort of a character arc and by the time you watch the final episode and everything kind of dovetails together in a really nice beautiful way mm. you, you come away feeling like i really watched a season of tv excellent yeah. and um also i just want to highlight the fact that like so often that the, the premise is that this middle-aged suburban dad has decided he's koala man and he's right he's obsessed with rules he wants everyone to follow all the rules like there's one point where he gets um like saved by one of his buddies in a helicopter and just shows up and he goes um and he goes, oh, mate, I'm so glad you're here. And I really, really hope you have all the proper permits for flying that helicopter. <laughs> but the thing that impressed me was that, um, you know, a lot of the times these shows are written by men. They're aimed at young men. Yeah. And uh, it just gets so focused on them that the women just kind of get put to the side. Or yeah, the wife yeah. just becomes the nag or an obstacle. But this show really uh, writes like a very realistic, down-to-earth working mom who has like a little journey of her own. And I was impressed. Cool. It was a really yeah. good show. Yeah. You can find it on Disney Plus. Yeah, I'll definitely continue watching it. I only watched the first episode, which was the one where uh, Koala Man didn't put his bins out. Yeah. And like, oh, you'll oh, love this. fucking hell breaks loose because uh, <laughs> he didn't uh, put the bins the, out. The villain of the episode is called The Tall Poppy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Where, like, that's right. The manifestation of uh, someone getting too big for their boots Amazing. comes to life and it's literally just a giant plant attacking people. Yeah, really, really It's funny, yeah. You good think show. of Tall Poppy as a real Kiwi thing. I thought it was a Kiwi yeah. thing. And yeah. again, it was as like Aussie New Zealand well. and Australian cultures. We like to pretend that we're bitter rivals, but there's so much crossover. Like right. half the things that they were referencing, I was like, yeah, we get that here. Here's a, here's a dumb Australian New Zealand story from when I was in, living in Aussie. It was, I auditioned for a McDonald's ad, right? And it was it was for the Olymp- this doesn't have to be in the podcast, hmm. but um, <clears throat> but it was it was a McDonald's ad for the Olympics, um, and it was 
two two flatmates, one Kiwi, one Aussie, and the Aussie was describing his perfect burger, right? Mm-hmm. And he starts listing the ingredients, and we did the first take, and I'm supposed to be the Kiwi going, oh, yeah, okay, listening to these ingredients. And after the first take, the casting director goes, oh, you're, um, you know, can you react to beetroot? When he says beetroot? And I was like, oh, yeah, how? Yeah. And they were like, well, beetroot's a really Australian thing to put in a burger. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's a really Australian thing to put in the in a, in a burger in New Zealand as well. He's like, oh, well, can you just act like that's strange? It was like, I mean, sure. Because <laughs> not. Because, you know, when McDonald's the sells... the burger is the Kiwi burger. I was going to say. exactly the same right, goddamn right. thing. Oh, yeah, they yeah, brand yeah, yeah. it in the different countries. Yeah. And we, dumb as we are, go... That's part of my national identity. Right. Yeah. It's right. part of theirs as well. You know, yeah. It's, yeah. I think we've got that with England with the full English breakfast and the full oh, Irish yeah. breakfast. Oh, and I think there's a difference in that. Like <laughs> one has beans or something. One comes you know, with the Guinness. It, yeah, it's always we'll like die like, on that like, hill of beans. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> New Zealand, Australia, New Zealand, Australia. A lot so of crossover. Many, so much crossover. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're more alike than than us little brothers over the ditch would like to admit. Right. Yeah. Right. I think so. Right. Thanks uh, for do, having me. Do you have things to promote? Do you have social media? Is it worth oh, following? I mean, you? I do. I've been using it less and less. You yeah. know, I got rid of Twitter. When I was going to say that stuff. I left to... Twitter, and then two months later, I came back. And I'm like, well, Wardy's always good on Twitter. No more Wardy on no, Twitter. Yeah. What well, happened? Oh, you know, the billionaire idiot ruined it for everybody. Right. So, yeah. I, de- yeah. I definitely since that happened, it seems there's a sort of a like um, you know uh, when a shopping mall has a yeah. lot of empty shops. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter kind of feels. <laughs> like that now right? dude i haven't even checked it out in ages i did migrate to uh mastodon okay you know, did that and it's like okay there's a bit of fiddling around with setting it up and choosing a server and all of that kind of or an instance or whatever they call it um but i and this is something i like about it it's so so much less attention grabby okay. that you know i I, I look at it very occasionally. I used to be on Twitter every day, you know, yeah. like just just for a scroll and whatever, yeah. you know. So what's that? Mastodons? Is that the Mastodons? Is that yeah, the new? it's the one that a yeah, lot of people are migrating yeah. to. Oh, right. And I don't know if you know this, but uh, King Dickhead has decided that you are not allowed to link to other social media sites because so many people were migrating and saying, "Follow me here." Yeah, and it's right. like you know, the sign of a really like healthy state is when you put up walls and say you can't leave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah. I don't. I don't. Uh, you know what? Sometimes I do miss Twitter, but I know that what I miss a, isn't there anymore. In a know? bad way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To to answer your question, my my handle on everything is Simon J B Ward. Okay. Very creative. Um, just my name. Um, but uh, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I post is kind of just retweeting much stuff. Anyway. Uh, and are you post- well, not retweeting? Reposting. Much and stuff is really. your Instagram has it become the Fin Channel? <laughs> no, I'm not a. There's a couple of things with him on there, but I was very conscious mm. right at the beginning of not being a. And and I love seeing pictures of my friends' kids and stuff. Right. Yeah, but I was just like, I don't want lots of pictures of them online. No, when fair he's enough. That little, I, you know, I'm so. I'm conscious of that too. Yeah. Uh, I make um as I've mentioned before, I make movies with my cousins, my yeah, young yeah. cousins. I never put them up anywhere except on our Facebook where only our friends and family can see them just because these are young people who are still developing and I just don't think that they need strangers being able to see them. Yeah, My Um, my phone is... Full yeah, yeah, yeah. Of photos and videos. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm, if anything, I need to go through my phone and kind of get rid of some pictures of them. Right. Because I've got 
a dozen of every single shot I ever took of him. Right. Um, but uh, I have that for my phone. He's super cute. He is super cute, by the way. He is. Absolutely. Yeah. He was gorgeous having him in here the other day. He's a lovely little kid. And um, my dog, Cisco. I take too many photographs. Yeah, of him. Yeah, he's yeah. he's become my kid now. Yeah, and and my kids are now like, don't ever take photographs of me. Yeah, you know all that sort of fear I instilled yeah. at a young age just you now kind of coming but back. You've got a new baby. No, so don't my kids. But now I've got a dog. <laughs> and you know what I did? I actually have an Instagram for my dog. Do you? Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a bit brilliant. it's a bit sad because I find myself out on on dog walks and it's a beautiful day and I'll see a good photograph. And I'll frame the photograph, and yeah. then I have to sit there and wait for my dog to walk in yeah. to the photograph. <laughs> and he's a just real, go, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm holding treats behind the camera. And he's a real sort of prima donna, and he, he knows what I'm trying to do, and ignores yeah. me. And so yeah, yeah. This is like, do you want to? Play? I'll let you know when I'm ready for my close up. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Where, so, can, yeah. where can we follow Cisco? That's called Cisco the dog okay. on Instagram. Easy. Cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's my plug for the. For this podcast. I think that makes sense though when you've got because you post art stuff as well. Well, that's a different to separate thing. those yeah, out, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, the thing the thing about the the Cisco one was like the art one. Like I spent ages on my drawings, ages. Yeah. We like, I mean, the, uh, Procreate lets you know how many hours you spend on a drawing. Oh yeah. And like sometimes when I'm finished, I look back at it and I go, oh, that that's not right. Hmm. Like I have like twenty five hours on a drawing is just not you know that's wrong. <laughs> I look. I, it's a little after the fact now, and we've you know we're not at the end. Um, but we did our secret Santa, right, for the stuff. And, of course, the the person that I was assigned to do a picture for was Kurt. Right. So so I did Kurt, who is our, like, an, an amazing character designer and artist, got a picture from yours truly, which was, I and, and that was the thing, the, the one that I got was by Andrew Keppel, oh, wow. who did the ABCs of Mutt Putty, oh my and God, it was yeah. 26 pieces I of art in yeah, one thing, it was incredible, yeah. and I was like, looking at it going, I did one of those, and it took me so long, <laughs> and it does not look for that good, like, well, anyway, near that good, it does, yeah, it does look good at all, but, I mean, I think Kurt appreciated it. I think I, he did, he did. Yeah. What was the Kurt one? It was the Lego Lego. I did Kurt as a Lego figure in his office, right? In his, yeah, 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 with a with a stylus and a tablet behind him. Yeah, the Lego, the old school. Lego well, that was space perfect. Lego. You you you, yeah, you yeah. chose how to stylize it in a way that you know you can. You know do, what? So it's the fun. thought that counts. It sure is. He's not allowed <laughs> to complain. Right. That's right. Um, yeah. I, you know the ABC's mug party. That'd be like a great poster for your home, right? Like, oh, totally. Like Finn's going to be learning the ABC's. Might as well learn them from some branded mug party yeah. characters. Nice. Yeah, I think I think it's going to end up on the wall here somewhere as well. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Um, you can follow me. Um, I also have separated Twitters. Uh, Joshua Martian underscore art is where all my art goes. If you want to see photos of me, and normally up until now I haven't said it's worth following me, but I have started putting up like uh, Halloween costumes and stuff that I've done on there. So if you want to see that sort of thing, it's uh, Joshua Earthling, uh, all on Instagram and cool. other places. Yeah, and follow other Mukputty artists. Is the artists of Mukputty on Instagram? Uh, lots of great stuff always comes up there. Actually, mm. you're right. We do use that hashtag, don't we? Yeah, artists mm-hmm. of Mukputty, where That's you can right. find tons of great stuff. And worth checking out. Um, uh, Ryan has just started sharing all of the pieces done for the Mukputty anniversary using the hashtag artists of Mukputty. Uh, yeah, I still need to finish my one of those. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it takes me a long time. All right, I'm not the last one to complete mine. <clears throat> Excellent. Oh, you haven't done yours either. I'm, I've done it, but it took a while. Okay, okay. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't finished mine. Mm. 
All right. Well, I think that's going to do that's us it. for this episode. Uh, thanks again to Simon. Thank you so uh, much for coming in. So it's great to see you. Yeah. Great. It's nice to be here in person. Yeah. It doesn't happen very often. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, that's all for this episode. Until next time, when we'll be talking with even more of the talented folks from our studio and beyond, keep mucking around. Yeah.